Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by longtime friend of the show, Chris Plank, Fox Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Big 12 Radio, the Sooner Sports Network, one of the busiest guys in the biz. We'll talk to Plank when he joins us coming up later on. And uh, plenty to discuss when Plank stops by as we'll get his uh, insights on Baylor winning the national title and what's going on with that Sooner program with Porter Moser. And, and uh, we'll try to sneak in some uh, WrestleMania, maybe a little NASCAR when uh, Plank stops by as well. So a uh, great conversation with him. Also got Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group coming up in a bit. And we'll also have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Coach Bo is actually here with me for the entire show for the third straight week. And uh, our own Thomas Bridges is a little bit under the weather this week. So I'll be thinking of Tom and hopefully he can uh, get back here next week. I won't go into too much detail, but nonetheless, uh, Bo, uh, welcome back. You're you getting the hang of this now? I can't when I unmute. Yeah, um, yeah I am. Um, it's kind of strange being on here for a full podcast, but uh, I have a good time. So thanks for having me on again. And uh, I'll keep the uh, seat for Tom um, warm for another week and let him get back next week. Yeah, and we'll look forward to having him back. Uh, by the way, Bo, uh, happy Jim Nance week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gets Final Four and the Masters. You know, great week. Congrats. Rough life. Based on the way that game finished and how things were going, and, and I loved it. I loved seeing Baylor win. Uh, it seemed like uh, Jim had uh, Butler Cabin on the mind with like 10 minutes to go in the second half. Like, I can't get out of this game quick enough. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was an ass kicking. I mean, that's just – we didn't see that coming. Oh, man. Uh, we'll uh, we'll break that down in, in just a bit. Uh, certainly happy for Baylor to uh, win that uh, title game. I got to say a uh, quick shout out, by the way, uh, my father um, is uh, currently traveling as we speak, as we're recording this to, uh, to Asia. He's uh, doing a trip out there working with a, a group where they're uh, working to uh, free uh, children from slavery and get them uh, into homes and, uh, you know, to find, you know, adoptions and such, you know, and so, uh dad if you are listening uh while you're traveling uh, we're certainly thinking of you but uh pretty cool i i thought he was crazy when he told me he was going to do this bo but uh you, you know being a dad you know i mean sometimes when you're determined you just find a way to get it done so that's what my dad's doing right now as we speak that's pretty awesome i mean that's the kind of thing we need in this world is more people who are just selfless and thinking of others and uh hey my hat's off to you pops i hope he's safe Hope everything is well, travel safe, and uh, do some great work. I mean, that's just, it's very admirable. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll be out there two weeks. I'm, I'm thinking of mom, too. She's, uh, I don't know what she's going to do without uh, the kids and without uh, dad at home. She might actually enjoy uh, having two weeks for herself, in all honesty. Uh, <laughs> I certainly would. Um, but nonetheless, uh, uh, certainly a proud of dad for uh, making that venture and I'll, uh, I'll be sharing some stuff on uh, social media throughout the next couple of weeks as uh, he goes uh, about this. But, uh, Bo, we have plenty to discuss on today's show. Where I wanted to start today is uh, looking back at Baylor's National Championship, a 86-70 win over Gonzaga. 
And there's so many ways that we could go with this, but starting first off just with Baylor and their national title that they pulled off here. This was a team that, um, you know, was looked at below Gonzaga for all of the season, even when both teams were undefeated. Everyone thought that Gonzaga was the better team and Baylor was still being treated like the, the redheaded stepchild compared to uh, Gonzaga. And you know, Baylor went through a little bit of slump when they went on that COVID pause. When they came back, they weren't the same team, lost to Kansas, lost to Oklahoma State, but they found their footing. And, you know, if you look back at Monday night's game, they were the more athletic team. They were the more physical team. And, you know, when you looked at Gonzaga, um, you know, yes, they had some impressive wins this year, but, you know, they, they did not go through that Big 12 slate, that Big 12 gauntlet that Baylor went through. Baylor was more prepared uh, for Monday night's battle with Gonzaga than Gonzaga was. Um, Gonzaga, I think, looking back, and I'm not taking anything away from the Zags. They had an incredible year finishing uh, you know, it was the national runners up and getting as far as they did, having an undefeated season till the, till the title game, not to take anything away at all from Gonzaga, but, um, you know, they got exposed to an extent. I think that Gonzaga team probably loses four or five games if they played a full Big 12 conference schedule, if they were in that position. Um, you know, but you, you looked at Baylor, you know, they took their lumps, they, they went through it. They didn't win the Big 12 tournament, um, but they got better and they learned from it. And I'm happy for Scott Drew. This is a guy that took over that program 18 years ago in the worst of circumstances. I kid you not, folks, in case you don't know by now. Um, when he took over that Baylor program, they had a situation that involved a player-on-player -player murder with uh, Dave Bliss as the head coach, they get essentially the college, the, the current version of the death penalty. And it took five years just for Baylor to get back to the tournament. They weren't allowed to play non-conference games initially when Scott Drew took that job. And he built that thing from scratch. 18 years later, he's a national champion. They have a whole new culture at Baylor. They've gotten people to buy in. Um, this Bo, I mean, you don't even have to be a basketball fan to recognize this. This is just one of the most incredible turnaround stories in all of sports. I mean, when, when you know, locally in our neck of the woods, Bo, when we think turnarounds, we think of Bill Snyder and K-State, what he did to take the worst program in college football and turn it into a, you know, a Big 12 title contender and where K-State's at right now. This was a whole nother level of not only did Baylor go from the absolute worst of circumstances, but now they turned that into winning a national title. I mean, it wasn't just that, okay, all of a sudden Baylor's good. No, they, they did the unimaginable. Um, you know, that's what, to me, is what's so astounding about this. You know, Scott Drew was laughed at by Big 12 coaches and, and thought that, you know, he wasn't good enough. And at one point, Bill Self had more – uh, or had less losses at Allen Fieldhouse than Scott Drew did, but the hard work paid off. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a great story. I mean, that's kind of what sports are all about is for these comeback turnarounds, something that's bigger than just the game itself, but for the culture, Bo. Yeah, you know, it's a huge turnaround. I, I think it's a fair comparison to call 
what he's done at Baylor, the similarity to Bill Snyder at K-State. Um, different starting circumstances. I mean, and at least at Baylor, he, he had some opportunities as far as alumni and that sort of thing. Can I hope the money? You can argue the Bill Snyder thing that he didn't have that. But again, yes, it's just as miraculous a turnaround you think about where the program was and where they're at now. And in the middle, there's been a lot of knocks on uh, on Coach Drew. And, and you know, he also came from a place where his father was a famous coach. And that was a tough deal, too. And, and Scott Drew was had to always go through those things. And it was always like, well, you know, they're a cute program the last few years, but they're not going to be great when – they're facing KU or they're against some of these top echelon big 10 or, or uh, AC teams in a tournament, man, he kind of gives the guy credit. I mean, they go out there and play, they play hard. He gets good players. Um, you know, they're everything you really want in a basketball program. And, and I'm happy for, for Scott Drew to get it done and to get a championship. I, I like what he's done there. I, I, I think some of the jokes that have been made about him over time are kind of exaggerated. He's done a hell of a job, and I'm I'm happy as hell for him that he got this win. Yeah, I mean, he gets the last laugh, Scott Drew does, of being a national mm-hmm. champion. And I would also say another big point to make as far as how Baylor pulled this off. You may be saying to yourself, you may be a University of Kansas fan, and you, know, you saw KU win 14 straight Big 12 titles and just dominate that league, and and, you know, still only win just one national title in that stretch. And, and you've seen firsthand, you know, Kansas fans, how tough it is to win a national title. You may be saying to yourself, how does Baylor win a title now after all that domination Kansas had? And here's what it is. It's a byproduct of the transfer portal. Uh, credit to Scott Drew for forward thinking, for figuring out the portal, for finding guys that – were under the radar that were at other schools. I mean, four of their five starters, folks, transfer portal. And we're not at major programs. And then he found those diamonds in the rut and figured out who would fit into place and make it work. And that's the future of college basketball. It's the future of college sports is the transfer portal. That is how you're going to win at a high level and with veteran talent. And you're still going to find NBA talent, too, because some guys, it just didn't work out. Just because you're in the transfer portal doesn't mean you're not a good player. Sometimes you don't get along with the coach or, you know, somebody promised you something that it wasn't what you thought it was, or it's just not a good situation for you. Maybe you got a family thing or you want to go home. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to enter the transfer portal. And credit to Scott Drew for figuring out ways to bring those guys in and guys that work. Obviously you're still going to go for the five-star recruits and try to bring those type, you know, top talent players to your program. But Scott Drew is proof that we can level the playing field of sorts, that we can have more teams compete because of this portal and showed how you can execute, how you can be effective with this new era of the portal, Bo. Yeah, the transfer portal thing. I mean, Scott Drew's done great with that. It's 
you're spot on. We talk about the transfer portal and how it's affecting basketball. It's affecting in a huge way because one player can really swing the destiny of a team. Um, you'll see it in football as well. We're seeing more of it. I once had a friend tell me, was a coach at the college level, who said, once you recruit a kid, you're always recruiting the kids. So you recruit a kid, maybe you missed out on him coming out of high school, but that kid goes to college and all of a sudden he's not happy. The way the portal works now, they can just hop over somewhere else after that first year. You're going to see even more of that. And Scott was ahead of the curve on that. And it's, it is kind of the only the bits of college sports now, but it is the business part of college sports. And that's where it's going to be going. And we're going to see more of that. So you might as well get used to it. And again, Scott Drew has taken advantage of that. I don't see a problem with that because we're going to see everybody doing this now. I, I think it's a big reason that Roy Williams just resigned or just retired. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's no judgment on getting in the portal. You know, things don't work out sometimes. Some, some people need a fresh start, you know, and, and uh, I mean, that's just the way things are going, the way things are headed. I think, too, um, something to keep in mind here with Baylor is they're not going away either. Look at, you know, Clemson in college football, uh, you know, was – not a blue blood program by any stretch of the imagination. And now they're a contender every year. Villanova was not a blue blood program in college basketball. And they haven't gone away. Jay Wright's still bringing in a lot of talent every year. Um, Baylor's got a top five recruiting class coming in of high school players. And they'll still have their share of transfers and such too. Um, this should send a message to Bill Self and the rest of the Big 12. Baylor's not going away. This team's going to be really good. And, you know, Chris Beard had a lot of success at Texas Tech. He's going to have more opportunities to succeed at Texas. Um, He's going to have more resources, more things to his disposal at Texas than he would at Texas Tech. And Porter Moser, at this point, the way Lon Kruger was at Oklahoma, I loved the run that Lon Kruger had at OU, but obviously he wasn't the same coach he was, you know, four years ago. They upgraded their coach. Uh, and Porter Moser there. Bill Self and the rest of the Big 12, this should be a wake-up call. And I know KU's got a new AD that just got introduced today, Travis Goff, and, and you know, we'll see how that goes, you know, as they try to, you know, rework that and try to, you know, push that football program in a new direction and such. But th- this should sound the alarm for Bill Self and for the rest of the Big 12 that, hey, this Baylor team, they've – they have arrived. This was not a fluke national title by any means. This, this program's not going away. Yeah, it's it it this Big Twelve just got a lot more competitive, and it needs to be a wake up call to KU. Your, your run of the fourteenth straight or whatever it is, it's done. It's over. You know, you got you kind of got to hold on to it a couple times when you when you when you shared it. I kind of to me that was kind of sticky tech, but. <laughs> You know, now it's over, and Baylor's for real. Um, we were talking last week about the Texas and Oklahoma hires. Who were they going to hire? And Oklahoma went about what we were talking about, a solid coach who's going to build a program. And we thought. We said, this is who we thought it was going to be. And we were dead wrong on Texas. <laughs> I actually liked the hire. I love um, it. We thought they were going to throw a shitload of money at somebody. 
I don't know if it's too hard to show me a cuss, but there you go. Um, you know, we thought they were just going to take a big name and write a big check. Into Texas's credit, they didn't. So go ahead and mark it on the tape. I actually comment, com- complimented the University of Texas. No, they, they I did think throw that's a pretty lot. good hire. They did throw a yeah, lot of money. Good hire for them. They did throw a lot of and money. So, but yes, yeah, but they didn't throw. They didn't go throw an over huge amount of money at a guy with a big name. That's what we really talked about last week. We said, hey, they're going to go get some guy who's based on the money going to be an overrated hire. Right. And they didn't. They didn't do that. They, they paid the guy well. Yeah, they're going to pay him well because they're Texas. But they're, they did not just say, who's the guy that will accept our biggest check? Right. No, no, they chose the best coach on the market they available. They, they they chose a good coach. They, so they my, chose my, the best coach who we, even, who we didn't even think was actually on the market that, oh, well, he's already the fourth highest paid coach in the country. He's got Texas Tech going in the right direction. Highest paid coach in the Big 12. Um, Chris Beard didn't leave for Texas because of money. He was paid very well at Texas Tech. He left because he wanted to come home and – that's his alma mater and wanted to see what he could do with that Texas program. And now he brings in Jarrett Howard, picks him from the KU staff. That's a great hire for your staff. I, had, I hadn't heard that. I did not hear that. So yeah, he, he convinced Jarrett to leave for Austin. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they're, they're in great shape there in Texas. Uh, I think Chris Beard will do awfully well. I think Texas Tech probably takes a step back a bit, but Texas uh, – I feel good about the direction. I think that here's a good idea to think about as far as Texas goes. Um, Texas, Bo, I think is going to be with uh, Chris Beard what they thought they were getting out of Shaka Smart. That's probably pretty fair. I think when they got Shaka, they were really thinking that Shaka Smart was going to be the, the VCU, Shaka Smart, get in the tournament and play. Their guys play gritty and that kind of thing. It just didn't work for him there because you have, you have to recruit a certain type of player. He never really had to recruit back in the past. Right. Um, so, yeah, I th- I can see where you're going with that. I, I All in all, I think it's a great hire for Texas. I do. I think yeah. both teams, Oklahoma and Texas, made good coaching hires. Yes. I'm, I'm not surprised Oklahoma made a good hire. I'm very surprised Texas made a good hire. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we were saying, uh, I think a week ago, you know, the golden time it was for Big 12 coaches that, you know, Bill Self, you know, is a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, Bob Huggins is on his way. Lon Kruger on his way. Um, and now Scott Drew just earned a Hall of Fame spot with that national title. He's in. I mean, he is. So, you know, you take Scott Drew, uh, you take, you know, Lon Kruger out now, you know, with retirement and maybe Chris Beard works his way. I mean, we're talking about what, you know, four or five coaches in that league, at least being Hall of Famers. It's a golden time for Big 12 basketball. It's going to be tough for Kansas and everybody uh, for the next several years. Uh, it's going to be really good. going to be fun to watch. Uh, the, 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 the beneficiaries and all this, the biggest winners are the fans because they're about to yeah. see – uh, some great basketball. I mean, it took – this is the first time since the 40s that a Big 8 or Big 12 school not named Kansas won the national title. I mean, it's been that long. And we're going to see more of it, I think, more of these teams contending at a high level. Four out of the last five years, a Big 12 school has gone to the Final Four. Now you got a national champion in Baylor out of it as well. Now, as far as, uh, you know, the 
the team that Baylor beat Gonzaga. Um, how are we going to remember this Gonzaga team? I think that's a good question. And the, the way I look at it, Bo, um, you know, I don't care if you played in the Little Sisters of the Poor conference, which is what Gonzaga played in. Uh, <laughs> I mean, undefeated is impressive anywhere. You got to the national championship, you lost, it didn't work out, you lost to a better team. I think Baylor was actually the better team all season long when when you come down to the end of the day. But Gonzaga, their day will come. Mark Few is going to be a Hall of Fame coach. Um, You know, he's had a great run and his day will come. Uh, I I know that, you know, I was talking to Tim Brando on my TV show last week and he said they had a chance to be a dynasty. I think that gets put back on the back burner a little bit. Um, But nonetheless, um, Gonzaga with Suggs, that moment that he had, the the half-court shot to win an overtime. I mean, that game on Saturday in the national semifinal against UCLA, that was one of the greatest college basketball games I've ever seen. So they didn't walk away with the title, but you had maybe the number two pick in the draft in Jalen Suggs. You got to the national championship, and you won one of the most exciting college basketball games of all time. Um, I, I don't think Gonzaga has anything to hang their hats on about. I'm sure they didn't win the title, but – uh, still a, a terrific year, I think, for for what the Zags did, Bo. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's I, I know there's going to some folks that are going to say Gonzaga can't win the big game. They choke in the big moment. Um, they just ran into a wall. That's just it. Yeah, you know, the fir- first question last here. Um, first thing I was going to say when you started talking there, when you got into it a little bit there, was I'm not going to call it a choke. I don't like that. And I no. I think Gonzaga was off. That was the worst game Gonzaga played all season. And yeah. I don't think it necessarily was a choke. It's just they didn't play well. Um, and Baylor was just lights out. I mean, we going to do? And you talked about the legacy. What's the legacy of this team? And, you know, I kept th- – I was thinking about that a couple of days ago. I was like, okay, what team does this team remind me of? And being that they're from a smaller conference – and the dominant as they were, the one that comes to mind, and this is, I'm not saying it as good as this team, was the UNLV teams. Now, those, guys, those teams had, those teams were talented. I'd like to see how the Gonzaga kids can match up talent-wise. Uh, they're certainly not as flashy as that team, but if you go look at those UNLV teams from the late 80s, early 90s, under Tarkanian, they – it's kind of what Gonzaga is in a less flashy way. You know, they did get one championship. But they really could have gotten more and kind of feels like it's unsatisfied in a way. I kind of feel that way about Gonzaga. I just feel like it's kind of unsatisfied. I, I, we talked before, it was off the air, we talked about before the tournament, who we pick in the tournament. I picked Gonzaga to win the tournament almost begrudgingly because – I didn't want to see a team go undefeated, but I really felt like they were the best team. And, and I, I still feel like for the entire season, they were the best team. But in the tournament, everything changes. And you have your brother one game. And in that one game, Baylor was the better team. And they were the better team by a lot Monday night. Yeah. Um, I would point to this. You know, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, there was a debate about, 
where the Big Ten, Big 12 teams, uh, you know, overworked in a sense with all the competition that they faced compared to some of the small conference schools, um, were they more tired and, you know, beat themselves up? That was something that was brought up, right? Well, in the case of Gonzaga, you go to overtime with UCLA, who nobody saw that coming. Nobody gave UCLA a, can- a, a, a chance. And um, I think Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News put it best. There was no loser in that game, uh, you know, on Saturday night. There just happened to be a team that, that won. I mean, that was a game that was just phenomenal. One of the best games I've ever seen. Um, you know, to go to overtime, Suggs to hit that game winner. I mean, just everything about that. But they – you come back a couple of days later and they were just out of gas. Um, you know, Baylor had been through that gauntlet. They had been through the COVID pause and had to find out who they were, figure themselves out again um, and were fresh for the tournament. And they won every game in this tournament by, by 10 or more points. They were more, you know, fresh, more ready to go. You know, they, they got eliminated early in the big 12 tournament. They, had a chance to evaluate themselves here at Gonzaga. Um, I, I think that, and Bo, I, I bet you would agree with me on this. Not only would you say that Gonzaga was probably tired going into Monday night, but probably emotionally drained too. I mean, that was one, even just as a fan, uh, I had to step back and, you know, just breathe for a second. Like, what did we just witness on Saturday? There's definitely an emotional letdown having to play 48 hours later. I mean, that's, that's just, it, it's natural. It's all of us as people would to go through that. Um, you know, I don't want to say that because of that game, Gonzaga didn't win. That's just not giving Baylor proper credit. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but and, and you're not. Clearly you're not. No, I'm not arguing again. And I don't think you are. I, I think there's some people who will say that and they don't really give proper context. Um, you know, I just, you're, I think there's something to it. You know, you're just sky high off of what just happened. Wow, a big win. And then you got to refocus back in. And that takes a certain level of maturity, not just for a team, but for a coach and for an entire program to get everybody on the back, back on the right page. Um, you know, I don't think the deck was stacked against Gonzaga by any means, but there's definitely an emotional piece to that. And we probably saw that early in the game when it looked like Gonzaga was just playing kind of flat and did not play well. I, and maybe some of it, you know, I tend to rather give the opponent credit than say someone blew it. But yeah, yeah. that you go to that game Saturday night and what all happened and the, the big shot that wins it for you in the overtime and you just go, wow. And you got to, oh no, we got another game to play. Yeah. And that's hard. That's real hard. Oh, it is. Yeah. So I mean, I get that, and it takes a takes a great coach and a great situation, and you run into. We talked about it earlier. We're last week. We talked about these two teams. We said they're one and one a. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, they, we knew all season these were the two best teams. Well, and and that's the thing. When I look back on this tournament, um, Bo, what, what what do we say? You know, for the the last few weeks leading up to this, you'll see plenty of upsets but the cream will rise to the top um, that we're still going to see the best teams in the title game. And, you know, I, I would like, I'd look at this bow, you know, as far as the, the tournament itself, 
it, it was a great combination of we got the upsets and we still had the two best teams in the title game. We had a great final four Saturday. Um, it had everything you wanted. You got the, the upsets and you still had the two best teams that people were wanting to see all season long. I mean, they were supposed to play back in December, but had a COVID issue with Gonzaga that forced that game to be pushed back. And so they didn't even get to meet after wanting to initially play until the national title game. Um, This tournament, after waiting two years for the NCAA tournament, went about as good as you could have asked. Yeah, so a little bit of the unpack there. So first off, yes, we got the championship game we wanted with a great Final Four. And we had all the upsets that everybody likes throughout the tournament, but we still got the two best teams at the end. And so we did. We kind of got everything we wanted. And so that makes it a great tournament. As far as with COVID and the, the, the NCAA, I'm never a guy to give the NCAA any credit. But, damn, they did a good job with this one. They did. Uh, at least for the men, they did. Well, um, think about this. I, mean, <laughs> I, I know that. They had you know, one. They, one team. They, they, the whole tournament, one team had an issue. And they got that under wraps quickly. They got it taken care of. And no other missed games. They got the tournament on. They got everybody, got everybody on the court. The games were all played. And then you got a fun tournament. Well, and, and they you know, used the excuse for the COVID. It's terrible what, you know, how the, the women's tournament was treated. You know, that was bad. Uh, that's what I was alluding to. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Yes, that was bad. Uh, but what I would say, as far as think about this, you, know, you had 64 teams in the women's tournament, 68 teams in the men's tournament. And, you know, what was it? So 63 games in the women's, 67 games in the men's. One game gets canceled. VCU and Oregon. Oregon just advances. And it was on a night, too, that there was already three games going on. So, I mean, we we still got to – it wasn't like we were left without a game to watch that night either. I mean, it, it was it, it, it was taken care of right away. And it wasn't an issue again. I hate giving the NCAA any credit as well. Um, but they did a good job handling this thing. I thought it was well thought out to go to Indianapolis to, you know, have this bubble go on and, you know, play at Hinkle Fieldhouse. That was cool to see, you know, the, the old, uh, you know, days of, of that place come to life and splitting up the courts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Got to have fans involved too. All these games had you – now, it was limited capacity. It wasn't like what we saw with the Texas Rangers the other day. But, nonetheless, we, we did get to see fans involved, too. I mean, that was uh, – it, it went about as well as you realistically could have asked. I think it went better than you could expect when it comes to getting the, the players on the court. And not just that, not just getting the, the games played, but also getting the games played with – all the players we didn't see teams with a breakout of two or three players and now oh god this two c is going to lose because they want their best three players we didn't see any of that either and so again i'll give the ncaa a little bit of credit it was a great idea to get them in the indy they'd be able to do that to quarantine them one game lost out of both tournaments that's pretty impressive you got to nod. You got to you got to tip your cat to the NCAA on that one, and it was a great tournament. Yeah, it was. 
Uh, simple as that. Uh, you know, lo- looking back, uh, tournament very uh, successful. And and uh, another point I'd make too is that you know, think about this bowl. Um, one of the things that that happens with the tournament is that a lot of people aren't paying attention to college basketball until the tournament, or the people that are following college basketball. Uh, some of these stars of the tournament become uh, even more household names. And what we've seen is that, you know, this past high school recruiting class for the first time ever, the G League was starting to take guys uh, for a pretty decent rate, you know, a six-figure salary to, you know, go to the G League for a year, and then they'd be eligible for the NBA draft instead of playing college ball. And so there was questions asked about how that was going to affect the talent level in college basketball. And, you know, what we've seen out of this first year uh, of doing this is, okay, sure, you're going to have, you know, there's going to be, I think, about three or four G League guys probably picked in the top 10. But can anybody name any of them? Does anybody know who they are, who they're playing for? Look what you had in this tournament. Cade Cunningham of Oklahoma State, he's going to be the number one pick. You know how easy he's going to be to market and put out there and how likable he is? especially if he goes to a team close to a big 12 country where everyone knows where he is, a guy's going to make a lot of money, you know, in endorsement deals and such the name, the brand he's built. Jalen Suggs had an incredible year with Gonzaga hits that game winner there. As we mentioned against UCLA, um, his net worth net worth skyrocketed. He's going to be the number two pick. Um, yes, you're not getting paid and it sucks. And I want to see these guys get paid and, have their own, you know, uh, you know, grant of rights and, you know, all that stuff. And I think that day will come, but there is still a value to playing college basketball. And we saw a lot of guys uh, increase their stock along the way as well. I, I think that that can't be unnoticed when you talk about, when you look back at the success of the tournaments and, you know, the, the season itself is that there's still a value to playing college basketball, Bo. Well, um, you know, there's a lot to unpack there as well. Uh, so the first of <laughs> the G League is a great idea for certain types of players. You know, look, if you don't want to go to college, you shouldn't have to go to college. Yeah. You know, college is not right for everybody. No, it's and, not. And I get that. And so I don't think that it necessarily hurts players to go to the, to go to the G League. I also don't think it hurts college basketball to be able to do that. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about this in that if you look what college basketball has done, because players don't stay very long anyway. I mean, they're the type of tippy top players. Right. They're staying for a year, maybe two. We don't have a lot of real name brand recognition. Now, for guys like you and me who know our sports and we know these players who are high school players who play their freshman year, we know who those guys are. Yes. But we are the, the exception, not the rule. And so really what college basketball has to do is they have to market the coaches. We talked a little about this last week is that, well, what's going to happen this next generation of coaches? Is there going to be guys who step forth now and become the next group of guys um, to, to be those guys that they can market the game through? You can't really market the game to the college kids. Now, I agree they should be paid. Um, you mentioned the, you know, be able to use their likeness. That's coming. 
it's coming faster than I think most people really understand. We're going to know something this summer about it. I mean, they already hit the, the Supreme Court heard a case last week on this. Um, I fully expect that the players are going to win. And I think we're going to see name, image, and likeness is going to be a big deal soon. And that's going to take some players, the, the phenoms, the ones who younger kids know from the Instagram and from uh, Twitter and those sort of things to where those guys can now use their Twitter and their Instagram and make a little extra cash. So maybe we'll see those guys at programs for more than a year. You know, maybe they won't be one and done. I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of things that can happen. I'm interested to see what's going to happen in the next 12 months. I think a lot of changes are coming. I do think that none of it hurts college basketball if college basketball brands the teams. They brand the coaches. And that's what they have to do. They can't go out and say, hey, on Big Monday, we're going to have this and such and such player. You really can't do that unless you're going to pay that player now. So, you know, and you're not going to see that. ESPN can't do that. But oh, yeah. I mean, he, Carolina, what? They had, you know, they were an eight seed this year and Duke didn't make the tournament. And yet one of the highest rated yeah. games all year was still Duke, North Carolina. I mean, yeah, the, the brand names are still a big part of the uh, the college basketball discussion and will continue to be the driving force. The the the, na- the the universities themselves and the coaches are driving it. I will say, and and maybe I disagree with you on this though, is that I think what is going to be the tipping point for the NCAA though is that you know, the, the G League thing, I don't think is going away. You know, they have this pot of money they're offering right now. That's only going to increase and only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, Eventually, you know, even if let's just say for all intents and purposes, let's say that the NCAA somehow wins in court on name, image, and likeness. If that happens, Um, they won't win the court of public opinion and they'll continue to lose out money. And eventually those players won't be playing college basketball if they don't make those changes and keep up. I think eventually even worse comes to worse, even if they somehow don't win name, image, and likeness, if the lawsuits don't go the way we think they do, they're still going to have to make a change just to keep that talent within college basketball. Eventually that will happen. You know, one of the two is going to happen. Yeah, so I'll put it this way. So here's where I, I think. So one, let's say the NCAA does win. Now, honestly, I don't think they're going to. But yeah. I think they're going to lose in a remarkably bad way, too. And I, I hope expect so. this is going to be like 7-2-8-1. I think it's going to be huge when the Supreme Court justices actually vote on this. Um, but when they do, if they do win, let me put it this way. Okay, in the last three to four years, give me the one, I can think of one college basketball player that drew ratings. Zion Williamson. Yeah. Zion Williamson. Yeah. I mean, Zion was Zion and he's a different player. So if you're looking at it in a college perspective, they've got to not build those names. They've got to build the the name of the franchise. Baylor's got to be Baylor. Yeah. And Scott drew. And KU's got to be KU in Kansas with Bill Self. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason Bill Self got a lifetime contract. You know, that's a brand. Mm-hmm. And that's something they've got to hold on to for that brand for as long as they can now. Mm-hmm. We're going to see some turnover in some big programs in the first the next few years. Just already seen one block on with Roy Williams. You know, they got Mike Krzyzewski. He's going to be kidding me. He's going to have to hang it up at some point. The man's an old man. Yeah. We're going to see a couple of these guys, you know, um, you know, um, John Calipari is no spring chicken. I mean, eventually he's going to be tired of this too. Guys are going to get tired of recruiting. They're going to get tired of the portal. Some of these old school guys. And they're going to say, okay, well, my time is done. I've made my money. Right. Now, so I think that it's a twofold thing. One, the NCAA, the, 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 the schools, the athletic departments, they have to try to build a brand. Mm-hmm. Now, for the kids, again, the guys going to the G League are not guys who are who wouldn't already be one and dones. They were already going to be one and dones. They just don't want to go to college. Right. They're the tippy top. They're the top 1%. So I don't see the G League in the NCAA as enemies. I don't see them as partners either, but there's no reason that they both couldn't coexist. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's kind of a misnomer is that the NCAA doesn't want the G League around. Well, really, those kids going to the G League, are they going to draw extra ratings on ESPN on Monday night? Not really. I mean, really? the uh, G I League mean, has look, G League has TV contracts. I mean, you it can does, but but if you can find the game, but again, the last few years, who's been the one guy? You can only think of one example, and that's big. And all these schools over a few year period, think about how many programs and how many teams and how many games. Mm-hmm. Only think of one. Yeah, that really was a difference maker, and that's Zion. And that's, you know, once in a generational type of thing. And so, you know, it's like, it's like if LeBron had gone to college. Right. You know, so, and and so you just look at that and go, okay, yeah. So it's still, but still when Duke plays Carolina, it's Duke and Carolina. Right. If Kansas is going to play Baylor on big Monday, it's Kansas and Baylor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's the, there's the, the, the argument there. I, that's you know if the NCAA wins the thing, when they lose, now the issue becomes the person I'm going to feel sorry for at every athletic department when the NCAA loses this thing is the compliance director <laughs> because I don't know how they're going to make rules about this. How are you going to tell these kids well you can do this but you can't do this, and then here comes another whole other set of lawsuits. Here's the interesting thing to me. So let's take um, who's someone that's leaving. Who's the the um, the biggest player at Gonzaga? Um, Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs. Okay, so I don't know who the soda sponsor is for Gonzaga. Let's say it's Coke. Coca-Cola. Let's say Jalen Suggs get offered $25,000 to drink a Pepsi on his Instagram. And to say, this is what I drink on Thursday night before I go to bed or whatever, you know, to talk about a Pepsi. How's that going to play at practice the next day? Those are the kind of things. So now you've got a player playing for a school that's sponsored by one. 
And then he makes a deal with somebody else because he doesn't have the money. And now you're going to let this name, image, likeness. He wins. He can do this. It's his name, it's his image, it's his likeness. He's not doing it on Gonzaga's Instagram. He's doing it on his Instagram. Or what if you nope. take it even a step further? Um, what if a player yep. wants to have a uh, endorsement you know, with uh, like a pot company? Pot's legal in what eighteen states now, well, and let's say they're at like a one of these you know Catholic institutions or something. Okay. How's that going to go over? Yeah, the other one to think about is when you get the tippy top guys. You know, so say you're Zion, and you went to Duke. And Duke has a Nike contract, but boy, Adidas can put a million bucks in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Hey, wear Adidas shoes, you know, or no, you, we know you can't wear Adidas shoes during the game or during practice, but Hey, when you're walking around campus, get as many pictures as you can with people wearing your Adidas gear. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kind of things that are going to have to get settled from that. So, and that's going to happen in all sports. It's going to happen in football. It's going to happen in basketball. Um, well, Pandora's box is about to get opened. Yeah. And I know how I would solve this, but I just have the like wild out there idea on how to solve it. But um, I, I went to another, another podcast another time. We'll have plenty of time. We'll tease that for my. We'll tease that for my podcast in a couple of weeks. Yes, uh, which we're very excited to uh, help launch, by the way. Uh, <laughs> what did we decide? We go with uh, yeah. the Coach Bo show? Coach, Coach, Coach Bo, Bo knows. knows. Coach yeah. Bo knows, yes. Coach Bo knows. Coming out, we'll probably get started the first week of May. So okay. so that's the official announcement, I guess. There you uh, go. Yep. Coming. We still got a few go. things to work out. We got to get you know, like a logo and a few other things. but you know, work, uh, I'm working on that. We're getting the logo and uh, – and I've got to get uh, the the, uh, the the studio at an undisclosed location is being set up the next week or two. So, yeah. so we're excited to have uh, Bo a part of the family here at uh, Tyler Jones Media Group, and uh, going to be uh, doing a, a weekly show of some sorts. More details to come on that. Up next, though, is uh, Chris Plank, Fox Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Big Twelve, also with the uh, Sooner Sports Network. Plenty to discuss with Plank. Also later on, we'll have. Our uh, Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group and our Tom Fulbery Story of the Week as well. All that more as we continue. Here are the Jones Report. Chris Blank joins us next. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Report this week. It's an old friend of the show. Chris Blank is back from Sooner Sports and Fox Sports Radio, Sirius XM Big 12. One of the busiest guys in all the media. And uh, he joins us right now. Plank, welcome back. Always good to talk, my friend. Thanks, Tyler. I feel busy, but I always feel like I'm not busy enough. So that's kind of the way that I look at it right now. But thanks for having me on, man. I'm glad to be on with you again. Always, Pike. Uh, first off, we, we got to look back on a Baylor winning the national title this week. First time a Big 8, Big 12 team won a national title, not named Kansas since the 60s. Uh, long time coming. I know that you followed uh, what Scott Drew and Baylor were doing. Uh, this guy was, was laughed at this conference for quite some time. And now that uh, they've made it here. Uh, quite the wild ride for Baylor and company. You know, it's kind of amazing if you think about it, because, I mean, here is someone that when he took over this job, there was nothing there. I mean, absolutely nothing. They had gone through one of the most tragic situations that you could ever imagine for any program. 
and he's just been patient. You know, he's, he's, he's done a great job. I think the term that is used a lot to talk about him is relentless enthusiasm and it fits. And then, you know, he, and I'll use that again when we talk Porter Moser, but he, you know, it's, it, he got great players and he was able to identify great players. So I've been really impressed with what he's been able to do. It's been fun to kind of watch it uh, play out here in the big 12, but it's, um, it, it, it's really one of the best rebuilding jobs, I think, in the history of ever. So uh, I'm, I was happy for him. I think it's um, I think it's going to be exciting to see kind of where they end up uh, in the future now. I think this year they you can't help but wonder what would have happened if they never had the COVID pause <laughs> and, and they never had that issue. So I'm pretty excited to see where this team ends up uh, years from now and kind of what ends up happening, you know, to Baylor, because they're building a new arena, you know, they're building a new basketball. So when I say, hey, they want a championship, my point isn't just to say, hey, that champion, I think this could be the start of many more to come for Baylor. And they're doing it in a conference where now you've got Chris Beard coming on board at Texas. And Texas Tech has a new head coach, Porter Moser at Oklahoma. It's not going to get any easier as far as things are concerned for, for Baylor. But I'm, I love it. This was a, a special team, Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell. Mitchell's not going to be a lottery pick. But to me, I get real excited about what's coming up in the future for him, too. Well, it's amazing the talent they brought in. I mean, we're seeing this new age of college sports with the transfer portal and how well Scott Drew was able to execute to find NBA players within that that portal. That's a game changer. Pre-portal days, Baylor's not competing at this high level. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're you're looking at a you're looking at a situation where that Baylor basketball program was, was just done, you know, and that athletic department was in a bad spot too. Um, but, you know, Tyler, you covered it closely from what Kim Mulkey's done on the women's side, from what's happened on the men's side now with Scott Drew, as we talked about, you know, yeah, there's two championship winning coaches. I mean, let's take some time to kind of give some credit too, to, to what's happened and kind of how it's played out for, uh, the football side of things with our, our brows. I mean, when we talk about Baylor, I want to brag about the championship, but I can't help but look at Mac Rose and that overall vision that he has for the athletic program and kind of how they've been able to come from the ashes in at least two of their three programs, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible what they've done. They're really special. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now you look at the, the future of Big 12 basketball. Um, you know, the, the run that Kansas went on within 14 straight – we looked at it at the time how remarkable it was with seeing where Baylor's at, where Texas is going to be with Chris Beard, Oklahoma with Porter Moser, um, you know, Mike Boyden at Oklahoma State. A, a run that Kansas went on, those, those, those days are over. I mean, this is, uh, this is a new age. This is a golden era of, of Big 12 basketball, it seems, with a, a lot of competitive teams, not just at a, a Big 12 level, but a national level. Well, um, you're right. You're right. And so I'll contradict myself a little bit. Do I say I'm excited about the future for Baylor, but I don't think this conference gets any easier. <laughs> right. right. Uh, they're, they're, he's going to, you know, the, the foundation of any good program is having great players. I mean, I, 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 I know that sounds so simple and so obvious, but here's the key. Have good players. And that's what Baylor has done. Now that's what Kansas and Bill Self has done for years. That's what Oklahoma continues to try to do. And Kate Cunningham, Oklahoma State. I mean, you talk about when they talk about a great program, what does it start with? And you, 
you can talk about philosophies, and that's great. I understand that. You can talk about motivation, relentless enthusiasm. We got to have good players, and there's good players coming to play in this league, and there's good coaches that are going to go out and get these good players. So you're right. Well, I'm excited for the future of of, of Baylor and, and to see what's next for Scott and Drew. I'm also excited for the future of Oklahoma. Mike Boynton, Oklahoma State, Texas with Chris Beard now. Uh, Bill Self now lifetime contract to Kansas. I mean, can I mention Kansas State? I mean, this don't they say like next year is supposed to be the year with their roster? But yeah, I mean, listen, uh, there's a lot of teams that are set up for some pretty good, big time, long term success in this league. It's going to be fun to follow over the next decade. All right, tell me about Porter Moser. What's he bringing to Norman uh, Plank? Uh, it, it seems like this could be um, similar, maybe the Kelvin Sampson days, philosophy wise. What, what say you? What's the things going to look like with Porter? And it seems like there's some excitement down there too right now. Well, he brings it. He brings it. You know, his his press conference yesterday was pretty awesome. Um, and I'm I, I kind of sent a tweet out about being ready to run through a wall. That's that's how I felt. You know, he just he got you so fired up if you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan, and that's what this program needs. And that's nothing against Lawn, but I've said this a lot. When, when you're hired to be the basketball coach at Oklahoma, this fits for my alma mater, Tulsa. Um, you've got to do more than win. You got to win, and then you've got to go out and market the program, and people have to get excited about coming out to games. Uh, Moser told a great story, Coach Porter Moser did yesterday during his presser, that when he first got to Loyola Chicago at after his first time out, he could have walked out and hit a driver at midcourt and it wouldn't have hit anyone in the States. It would have bounced around because no one was there. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's next uh, for Porter, Porter Moser, because if, if the ride is anything like the, the, the takeoff, then I think we're in for a fun one. Now to your point about getting back to kind of a Kelvin Sampson type mindset, I agree, but he, he punched back on that a little bit yesterday, right? He, he kind of stopped and said, well, you know, yeah, I, I defensive mindset, but I'm not afraid to get out and run. He's he's gonna he's gonna bring high level athletes. So it's I, I agree with you 100. You know, you think you watch those loyal to Chicago teams. Don't dare I say that boring brand of basketball um, where they just defended you to death. But I think there'll be some some I guess you could say elements of his approach here at Oklahoma that won't be afraid to have a team that's going to get up and down the court a little bit and uh, maybe not quite to the billy ball level of things, sure. but I don't think you're necessarily seeing Tony Bennett take over here at uh, Oklahoma either. I believe I saw a stat the other day, Plank, that Oklahoma has the most wins of any program without a national title in college basketball. I mean, that program is much better than I think a lot of people realize, historically speaking. And, and, you know, decades of good basketball throughout the years. And, and we know about, you know, the, the, the Blake Griffin practice facility, the money that they invest, the stability with Joe C involved in everything here. I mean, about everything's there for, for Porter Moser to succeed. I mean, this, uh, th- this seems like, uh, from what I heard from him, uh, Plank, was that he's kind of in it for the long haul. Is that what you were sensing, too, that this wasn't just another stop for – Porter Moser here that he's fully invested here. That's, that's the way he made it sound. Right. Uh, And, you know, he, what was it? I'm not a job jumper. I'm somebody that, you know, wants to plant some roots. And I, I mean, I, I have no reason to, to kind of go up against that or argue with him, but I, I will say, I mean, this is, this is a dude that could have had a lot of jobs along the way, right? He, if he wanted to, he could have interviewed and probably been a, a top candidate at Indiana. You know, you go back to, 
I, I think even when Illinois hired Brad Underwood, I think he was mentioned as a potential candidate then. Now, you know, who knows what happens if Underwood's out of the mix. Maybe he is the guy. But regardless, the evidence all points to a guy that does see that long-term vision and isn't, hey, three-year fix. Let me see if I can go to UCLA or Kentucky or whatever. I'm just throwing programs out there that are blue sure. bloods. Um, I also appreciated, you know, I think we kind of touched on that, that he did embrace the idea that you're not going to come here and automatically have filled stands. You know, you got to not only win, uh, the LNC is a, is a little bit of more old school um, and it needs some work, but it can get loud. So I'm, I'm really pumped to, to kind of see exactly what his plan is, how it plays out. And then to your question, are we looking at something that's more than just a three to four year thing, five, six, seven, eight years down the road. And you know, here's, here's, some, I know that, Yesterday, when and as we taped this, it was his presser was on Wednesday, but it was interesting because I think everyone looks at the Oklahoma roster and realizes it needs some work. You know, Austin Reeves is turning pro uh, from everything that that we've heard. Kirk Queth is going overseas. You know, your other big score, Brady Mannix in the transfer portal. There's a dude that's already transferred to Vegas. There's two more guys, and one guy, Damian Harmon, is turned pro. So you got to you got a kind of a mismatched roster right now. Not a lot of players on it, but even though I think we kind of look at it, the big 12 and say, Hey, this is going to take some time. He's like, no, no, no. We're, we're, we're our plan is to go out and compete for a conference championship right away. So if there's long-term plans, uh, Tyler, he seems to be all in and not only, not only getting it done now, uh, but getting it done for a long time. Well, and uh, with the job that Lon did to rebuild the program after what went on with Jeff Capel here, I would think, Plank, that there, there should be a mindset of, all right, now you clean things up, you got that Final Four, now there's still another step for Oklahoma to take here. Do you think that's what they're, they're looking at with, with Porter Moser in Oklahoma here is, all right, we, we've gotten to this point, now it's time to go compete for, for national championships to try to bring that national title to Oklahoma that they've been looking sure. for. Sure, yeah. And, and you know what? You, you go, going back to your original point, it's going to be so hard in this conference. Yeah, you know, it really is. Um, and I and we haven't even mentioned West Virginia yet. Bob Huggins is always going to get players, uh, and that's always a challenging trip. But, yeah, it's – I mean, you look at this league and you think about what you're going to be going up against. And, and to his credit, Coach Moser embraced it. I mean, you're not going to come in and say, no, I don't want to play against Big 12 right. people. Uh, he's going to embrace it. But, yeah, that's the goal, right? That's the goal for every program. But for – Oklahoma, it's been a big challenge, you know, to take that next step. 2016, I think, was now you look back with Buddy Heald and Isaiah Cousins. Um, I, I, I just, I got to tell you what, it's it's something else, in my opinion, um, that I, 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 I just love that willingness to say, I'm going to come here. You know, do we all want something nice and you yeah, but we can win with what we've got. I've been around enough coaches that when they take a job, it's like, well, I, I can't have these facilities. Well, they've got the brand new Griffin center. And regardless of how you feel about the Lloyd Noble center, you know, he's like, no, this place can be loud. I need it to be loud. So I'm really, uh, they want a national title in every sport. Right. right. But I think when you consider that you've won national titles in in base or excuse me, in softball, in both the gyms and obviously football and obviously that's 21 years ago. I think they would love to be able to get one in men's and women's hoops too, to kind of go full circle for the university. And Moser had the, the, the attitude that seemed right for it. 
Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, certainly certainly going to be fun to watch. And you mentioned Chris Beard going to Texas and such. And we saw Mike Boynton's success at Oklahoma State. The, these are going to be some interesting rivalries for Oklahoma now. We spend so much time talking about Bedlam and football, the Red River shootout and football. Uh, these basketball games uh, are going to be appointment viewing, I think, uh, against o- OSU and Texas for, for years to come. What say you? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um yeah, I just – Chris Beard at Texas. Chris Beard was great at Texas Tech. Can you imagine now when you're getting a new arena and, and the assistant coach pot that you have, you know, now the new guy that's taken over at Texas Tech, there's, you know, those rumors, kind of like a Les Miles, Mike Gundy thing where they may have had words before Chris Beard left. So, uh, yeah, and then, of course, you know, you, you had you had Kansas and there's so many guys that Oklahoma had been in on. And now, you know, like Bryce Thompson is there at right. Kansas. looks like he's coming back for another year. So you have – what, what you see as the makings of from a head coach's position, some some incredible personalities, which then lend to some incredible matchups. So, yeah, I, I just I, I think there's so much must see appointment viewing that's coming up in 2021 and 2022 in the Big 12. It's going to be camp. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That'd be 20. Yeah. 2021, 2022 uh, in, in the Big 12. It's going to be camp miss hoops. And there's really good players in this league still, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plank, uh, we'll move on. Uh, I know you're a big NFL draft guy. Draft's coming up in, in a few weeks. Uh, what's with all these quarterbacks here uh, being viewed so high? Uh, I know you and Arnie talk about it on Sunday nights. I mean, um, I don't know if there's really five quarterbacks worth that first-round grade. It looks like they might be all top ten picks. What's What's going on here with, uh, with yeah. the draft, all this value um, on these quarterbacks? As I sit here today, and, and I'm, I'm a big draft guy. I, I love following and covering the draft. In my world, there's a clear number one in Trevor Lawrence, and that's it. I mean, I the, the, the fact that we lose our mind over quarterback pro days is still one of the most archaic takes <laughs> in, in sports. And I don't understand. I've, I've never understood. Oh, did you see that one-footed throw? Without a pass rush and nobody in his face and a guy running wide. Yes, yes. I, every quarterback that's in this trap can do it. Kellen Mullen just did it. And Zach Wilson does it. And we act like we've never seen them before. Um, yeah, I'm a, I, I think if I'm a team, and it's not going to happen this way because the Jets are taking a quarterback, the Niners moved up to take a quarterback, and, you know, we'll see what the Falcons do it for. But if, if I'm sitting at two, I want to get my generational left tackle. You know, I want to go get a Penny Sewell or Rashawn Slater, whomever it might be on, on your draft board. You know, I'm not a I'm not afraid to say that I, I think there's guys in Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase that could be big time game changers for years to come. But it's a quarterback driven league. So I get that. So Trevor Lawrence is number one, I think, with a bullet. But then you get into that argument. See, I I would take Justin Fields before I take Zach Wilson. I mean, I I, I don't understand the Justin Fields slander. I mean, because the dude had a bad Big Ten championship game when he was hurt. Because he had a bad championship game when he was hurt. I mean, I I don't understand it. It's almost like the semifinal game against everyone's beloved Clemson Tigers didn't happen. So as I sit here right now, I mean, listen, Trevor Lawrence is going one to Carolina or to, to Jacksonville. It appears as if right now at two, it's going to be Zach Wilson. If I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm dancing in the streets, man, because I get a guy in Justin Fields that if you need to 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 keep Jimmy Garoppolo around, fine. Um, and it looks like they're going to try to do that, but. You know, give me Justin Fields, and then we'll see what happens. I think Trey Lance is a guy that could fall a little bit. I think he could still be there at six, seven, or eight because you start thinking about the draft order. I'm going to try to do this off the top of my head, but if if Atlanta decides at four that they're like, 
all right, you guys go get your quarterbacks. We're either open for business or we're going to trade out or we're going to get our, our guy. They could end up getting the, the, the best tackle or the best receiver on the board at four. They will. Uh, and then you might not have it because the Bengals are at five. They don't need a quarterback. Dolphins are at six. They Are they committed to Tua? Trey Lance would be interesting. They got 800 draft picks anyway. But you start going down the list. What um, is – I think Denver's at seven, Carolina's at eight, whatever it might be. You're not looking at a team that needs a quarterback until maybe like nine or 10. So I think it could be a bit of a fall for a Trey Lance. And then you, you never know what might happen. Maybe someone falls in love with a Micah Parkins, the Parsons, the best linebacker in this draft, or a Patrick Sertan, uh, or Caitlin Farley, the two best corners in this draft. So, yeah, I, I, I don't get the infatuation with Zach Wilson. Um, I understand the need to get quarterbacks one, two, and three. But if I'm sitting there and I'm the Jets at two, I'm not afraid at all to take a Justin Fields. I think he'd be a great fit for him. Now, the Jets, you you bring up an interesting point with, and I like Sam Darnold. I think he's fine. Um, he's younger right. than Joe Burrow, and yet they you know send him out for you know for a couple couple picks, and now they're going to end up drafting another quarterback in that spot. Right? To me, I would have looked at it and said, okay, why don't you go ahead and take that pick to get Sam Darnold a weapon like a Jamar Chase. Right. Devonta Smith or something instead now you're back to where you started from looking for another quarterback again here I mean uh that, that's what drives me crazy plank is just the uh the lack of patience that we're seeing from these teams whether it was uh you know from uh Josh Rosen the Haskins and now whatever I mean even they're looking at next year with uh with uh with Jalen Hurts already talking about that he's yeah. got you know, a short leash and such here. I mean, these guys just aren't getting time anymore. No. Um, Tim Darnold was drafted in 2018. I pulled it up here. He's only 23 years old. And you're back at number two in this draft, not necessarily because of Sam Darnold, but because your team stinks. Right. And I, I guess, I guess in my mind, if you have a rotating, everyone needs a great quarterback. And now everyone wants Patrick Mahomes. Right. But what I don't think anyone takes the time to, to realize is Patrick Mahomes sat for 15 games during his rookie season. Mm -hmm. And you were there. You covered it. You remember the his first season as the starter training camp. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, he's turning the ball over too much. He's throwing too many interceptions. And, you know, Andy Reid was just like, I got a guy that fits my system. I gave him some time to learn it. I'm ready to go. We feel like if a guy's not a super, if he's not Patrick Mahomes after one season, then he stinks. You know, you mentioned Arnie. I joke with Arnie. I'm like, well, what quarterbacks do you like in this league? Because a guy has one bad outing and suddenly he's done. People are done with Tua Tagovailoa, and he had one season where he wasn't even starting every single game. So, and Sam Darnold missed most of last year with Mono. I, you know, kind of thinking about. I think he's going to crush it in Carolina. I think he's going to have a great season in Carolina. He was Trevor Lawrence. Everyone was talking about him as a slam dunk number one, and now you look back and what? Baker Mayfield's the only top five pick at quarterback in the last five or six, seven, eight years that's still with the team that drafted him. That's crazy. That's crazy. Got to give guys more time. Um, the, the Jared Goff one I get right because Sean McVay had lost some confidence in him, but outside of that, it doesn't make a lot of sense when we're putting on guys this quickly. Oh yeah. As a Raider fan, are you wanting to stick with Carr or do you, or do you, do you want them to get another quarterback? Oh, I'm team Derek Carr. Um, and I have been for a while. I think their problems are with uh, the defense. I find it fascinating what they've done with their offensive line this off season. You know, they, those were guys that had been with the program for a long time and um, they just hadn't gone well. Right. I mean, you had one winning season and everyone bragged and lauded this offensive line, but they couldn't stay healthy and they, 
They weren't very good. Rodney Hudson was pretty good, but he had, according to reports, he'd kind of struggled with the loss. I don't blame him. I struggle with the losses and I'm not in the locker room. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Derek Carr guy. I think that you can build around him with the right weapons. Now, if he comes out and has another bad year, then I could quickly become a Sam Howell or a Spencer Rattler guy uh, looking at the 2022 draft. But Let that yeah, I, already. I, I think the, yeah, I think Derek's a guy that they can build around. Um, now, l- looking at, you know, going into this draft as uh, we've seen, you know, free agency for the most part kind of wrap up. A lot of trades already been made and such. Who are the teams you think are already the ones to, to beat next year? Is it still Kansas City and Tampa or does maybe Cleveland jump into the fold or is it, what about Buffalo? Some of these teams, who, who do you like right now heading into this draft as far as still the teams to beat going into next year? I, I really am intrigued. I don't know if I like it, but I'm intrigued by what New England has done. Because nine out of ten times, if a, if a franchise goes that crazy in drafting – or excuse me, in signing free agents, everyone loses their mind and crushes them for it. But because Bill Belichick did it, it's the greatest thing ever. So I'm intrigued by what's happened in New England. I don't know if it's for the better. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, a team that doesn't get talked about a lot that I think deserves some kudos for what they've done this offseason is, is Arizona. And I – you know, you – you want some leadership, but, you know, you go get J.J. Watt, you, you bring in A.J. Green to fit to that mix. You, you trade for Rodney Hudson. You get an established leader on that offensive line for Kyler Murray. I I, I mean, I, I know that's tough in the NFC West, but I think Arizona is a team that, you know, if they just like Cliff Kingsbury coach offense and not worry about much else, I think they're in good shape. But, yeah, I – I think everyone's going to be picking Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Tampa, Kansas City's got some issues as far as the offensive line is concerned that they, they've tried to shore up and spend some money there. But, yeah, I'm I'm real interested in seeing what happens uh, in Arizona. And Cleveland. Cleveland's, yeah. as you brought up, they made some really smart moves so far this offseason. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for our guy Baker to see what he can do. Uh, you know, get a full year with all those compliments together and – Maybe uh, maybe an MVP run, possibly, for uh, for Baker uh, this season. Be I hope so. Great to see. Uh, we got a few more minutes left with the planks. So i got to ask you, I know you're, you're a big wrestling guy. You look forward to uh, WrestleMania this week? You know, I got I got I am a big wrestling guy, but this has just been a 365-day stretch where I haven't followed it. And so I was, in, in fact, before I came on with you, I was pulling up the WrestleMania card, and there was a part of me that was like, Edge is back. Okay, that's very cool. Uh, I'm going to watch because I'm a fan of big events. You know, I'm going to watch Royal Rumble. I'm going to watch WrestleMania. But, Tyler, this has been such a weird year. And you have so many options, right? Suddenly I tune in on a Monday night, and I've got this AEW. And if Jim Ross is a part of it, I'm going to watch. So, yeah, it's been – it's it's really amazing to kind of see the way things have gone down uh, in the wrestling world. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they they were still going at it uh, during you know the the heart of the pandemic and without a crowd, the training center and all that. And and uh, now Vince in his uh, his later years here, Plank. I mean, we're uh, I don't know how much longer he's going to be around here. We might see the the WWE <laughs> take some uh, some big changes in the next couple of years. Yeah, and then, of course, Hunter will be running the show from that point forward. I hope my man Bruce Pritchard is still around. But, yeah, we could see some big-time changes coming up in the world of the WWE, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, NASCAR-wise, did, did you like seeing Bristol on dirt? Yeah, I did. I wasn't prepared for all of the issues that came with the dirt track race, um, the, the mud, the, the, the windshields, the radiators. But I thought 
you know, I thought it was cool that it ended up on a Monday. <laughs> to be honest with you, I got to watch it. I, I, I don't know how I feel long term. You know, I think it's cool that they did it at Bristol, but there was a part of me that did miss traditional Bristol. And I know we'll get that later this year. And they made the announcement the dirt's coming back. And I guess what um, the California Speedway is going to become more Bristol like and give you that short track feel over the next couple of years. But I don't know, Tyler. Um, I dug it because it seemed like it got us back to our roots in a lot of ways. Uh, so I'm cool with more of them. I just don't want it to be my only Bristol races, the dirt track race. I still want to get my, 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 my pavement race. I want to see them racing on the concrete. Uh, I, and, and I love the stories behind how they had to uh, store all the dirt. It was fascinating, but yeah, it's, it was great. I loved it. And I love this season so far. I think it's, you know, it's odd when you take a week off because you're almost lost. Like what's, where, where's my NASCAR this weekend? But uh, it's been great. I, I think it's been a, I think it's been a fun, awesome season so far. And I can't wait to see, you know, is, you know, is Kyle Busch going to turn it around or does any Hamlin reestablish his dominance? Are these young guys here to stay? I think, I think this has been one of the better years so far. Seven, seven different winners in the first seven races. How about that? 16 playoff spots up for grabs here. I mean, we might get close to, uh, that playoff threshold of, of trying yeah. to compete for those spots here. I mean, what a start for uh, some diversity, especially after a year when it seemed like Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin were winning everything last year. You're getting a little bit of everything is what you're getting this year. The only thing that's lacking is, is like a near win for a bubble Wallace. And I think that's what NASCAR wants. They want to see that 23 car. It, is, it looks cool. You know, you got the, the DoorDash sponsorship and Jordan's involved. You know, I think, you know, with, with, all the, the different winners that they've had, just about every single major team has been represented. But I, I think it'd be really cool to see that that 23 car end up on the cusp or in victory lane. Yeah. And, you know, so many nuances this year from all these road courses to what we yeah. already saw with Bristol Dirt. What, what are you most looking forward to of what's ahead for uh, this NASCAR season? Restrictor plate racing. It's my favorite. Um, and I think it's the great wild card. Um yeah, I, I think that that for me is what I, I get excited about. You know, I'm, are we going to see continual, you know, with the kind of changes that are coming next year? You know, how much, say, smaller teams are you going to be investing in trying to get your car running where it needs to be in 2020? Are you more, or 2021, are you more focused on getting right for 2022? Um, I think, I honestly think that a guy like Joey Logano after this past week is someone that could be primed for a big run here over the next couple of weeks. But so many young guys, man, it's, it's fun to see the sport turning over, but I'll go back to what I originally said. I think NASCAR uh, would really like to see that 23 in victory lane. And I'll tell you what else I've really dug. I've dug what Fox has done with the broadcast. I dig listening to Clint Boyer. I think he brings a unique approach to everything, kind of a good old boy feel to it. And it's fun to watch him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, right there in your neck of the woods, how about Christopher Bell uh, yeah. getting the uh, first ever win for an Oklahoman in, in uh, NASCAR's highest level here? I was thinking about this, Plank. Uh, when you look at what he's done in the Chili Bowl and USAC racing, winning a truck championship and all that, CB's probably already an Oklahoma Sports Hall of Famer at this point. Well, um, apparently the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame is more interested in getting a guy that's played for the Thunder than they are a race car driver. I mean, <laughs> Emmett Hans, not even in the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame, which is one of the greatest travesties ever. But yeah, he does. He belongs there. I mean, at what, 23, 24 years old, he belongs there right now. You know, I, I, he's going to ride a roller coaster this year, you know, first full season in Cup. 
Um, he's got great equipment. That 20 car, you, I mean, it, it's been great. The, it's so odd to think about the, the, the plight of the 20 car from Tony Stewart and his dominance, Joey Logano being there and just maybe being a little bit too young for the moment. Uh, and, and kind of watching that, but who was Kenseth was in the 20. Yeah. It's been crazy to kind of think about that 20 car and to see Christopher Bell and Norman product and Norman North grad driving it. It's just great for Oklahoma. Oh, it, it certainly is. Uh, last thing, uh, you're all over uh, OU softball. Uh, yep. That's one of the things Porter Moser mentioned was uh, his, uh, I believe it was one of his daughters was excited to, to be around OU softball and such. She should be. Yeah. They're great. Uh, in fact, I've been sitting here, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're doing as far as this weekend is concerned, because, you know, we had everything uh, kind of imploded whenever Baylor wasn't able to meet its COVID protocol. So I'm, uh, I'm fascinated to see what's next for this softball team. They are really good. They're, they're really good. So, you know, they're just getting better as the season progresses. Um, it looks like we've got a, an event that's going to happen. It looks like we're taking on Louisiana tech and Big Street that just ended. They have a girl named Kinsey Hansen. They're fun. Uh, they're a really fun team to watch, and I can't, I can't wait to see what happens as their season progresses because I think they're only going to get better. Oh yeah, Plank, uh, we got to run, but before we go, uh, plug all the uh, the stuff you got going between uh, Sirius and Fox and all that stuff where people can find. That, that could take longer than this conversation, but I would say hit me up on Twitter at Plank Show. That's at Plank Show. Uh, Sirius XM. Listen to ESPNU eighty four. Um, it's Stop1400.com. You name it, Tyler, I'm there, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Plank. See you, bud. Big thanks to Chris Plank for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Brian O'Connor, back here with you now. It is time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Check out O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. By phone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And you can also reach out to Bo at brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian.oconnor at lpl.com. Bo, uh, tell us first off, before we dive into too much shop, what is going on at OAG this week? Man, it is a strange, strange ride this week. So... Uh, we are in the process of moving into a new office. We'll have our new office um, open on May the 3rd. We might be a few days early, but we're, we know for sure May 3rd. Um, and so there's a lot of different stuff we're doing to get ready and prepared for that. We're working with FINRA on a few things and the broker-dealer. And then you have to deal with the, the landlord and some repairs and some things just a lot of cooks in the, in the in the kitchen right now. A lot of things we're trying to get done, but we're excited to be in our new office space soon and uh, able to get back in front of people in earnest again. We've done a few things in person last year, but not many. And so it'd be exciting to be able to get back to really being in person and to be able to chat more than just Zoom here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, that's great to see. Uh, OAGKS.com, ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for more. And uh, also like them on Facebook. Bo, uh, first off, Sam Darnold, he is in a new home now, joining the Carolina Panthers. And the Jets give up uh, a few picks to 
on making it, or the Panthers rather, give up a few picks to make it happen. Um, first off, what's your reaction to Sam Darnold going to Carolina? I feel like Carolina won this trade by a mile. I mean, the Jets, they got so many issues. Now you have to draft a quarterback compared to you already had a young quarterback and now you can't get him a weapon here. What, what are the Jets doing uh, moving on from Donald here? But in, in Carolina's case, seems like that if, if Sam Donald is the guy, he's got the right offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. Now, this is a really interesting trade to me on a lot of, a lot of levels. We talked last week, you know, I made the prediction that I thought one, two, three, and four in the draft were going to be quarterbacks. I stand by that. I really do. Even if the Falcons trade out of four, uh, I think it's going to go one, two, three, and four. I don't think the Falcons are trading out of four. But uh, I think it's first off, the Jets are clearly going to go with Zach Wilson at two. And this has as much to do with new coach, new, new GM, and just a whole new program. And saying, hey, we don't want to take someone's trash. And I don't want to call Sam Darnold trash. What I'm saying is <laughs> we don't want their leftovers. Probably a better way to put it. We don't want their leftovers. We want to cook our own meal. And so they're going to want their guy. And so, okay, what can we get for him now? Um, I thought that I don't think Carolina overpaid here at all. I've seen that. People saying Carolina overpaid. Not really. He was a number a three six, pick four like two a, years ago. A four and a six in the 2021 draft, a two in the 2022 draft, which I'm assuming that this is going to have some kind of roster piece or something in there in case the in case the Panthers don't have Darnold a year from now. Um, so for the Jets, it's just about moving on as a franchise. It's about, again, coach, GM, warning their guy, and you're going to want to avoid a whole lot of issues with drafting a guy number two overall and then having another quarterback, young quarterback in-house. So you avoid a lot of that stuff. So, and for the Jets, they get it. They like, they, like, they like the guy, they like the next quarterback better. The Panthers here have made an interesting call. Um, this is not too much to give up for a quarterback. A quarterback who's played in flashes very well, who has a lot of talent, who's played in a really, really poor franchise. The Jets have been a train wreck. They've been a train. They were the worst team in the NFL this past year. They got lucky to not. Be, I mean, they didn't get lucky. They stupidly jumped into somehow getting a win, and now they have the second pick. Um, but they've been a horrible franchise for a couple of years. So, again, I don't really judge Darnold on what he's done on the field when you look at he hasn't had any talent around him. He hasn't been well coached the last couple of years. I, give me a young quarterback. Let me see what I can do, especially when he's a young quarterback who has a little bit of a pedigree, has played well in college and played fairly well in the NFL. He has, and he's not an MVP. And he's not a franchise guy right now, but he can be a franchise guy. Why wouldn't you take a shot if you can get it done cheaply? He gets to sit behind Bridgewater. They might, might compete. We don't know yet, but if you don't have him compete, you're not out a first-round pick, and you get him with Joe Brady. And the interesting part to me is 
the Panthers may have found if it works, if Joe Brady can coach this guy and this is going to be the great fit, if it is, they've gotten a their franchise quarterback for essentially a second round pick in the future. And without having to give up their best offensive player, Christian McCaffrey, we were just talking six weeks ago about the Panthers trading McCaffrey and first round picks to get to Sean Watts. If you can now get Darnold and you think he's the guy, there's very low risk on this, this trade for the Panthers. I think it's a genius move for the Panthers. I think it's a great trade for them. For the Jets, it's about moving on. If you want to say who won it, I guess the Panthers won it. But I think both teams are mission accomplished here. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, now, in, in the case of Carolina, I, I feel like the winner, if you want to talk about who won, is Sam Darnold here. I mean, he gets out of the worst organization in the league, the worst run organization in the league, to now a franchise that has, you know, fairly new ownership that has given Matt Rule everything he wants, all the analytics, all the data got one of the best young offensive coordinators in the league in Joe Brady, um, you know, one of the best running backs in the league in Christian McCaffrey. I mean, for, for Sam Darnold here, I mean, you talk about an escape from hell here. I mean, that to me, if you want to talk about winner, is Sam Darnold here. I mean, they potentially saved his career making this trade. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we knew that one way or the other, Sam Darnold was going to end up on another team whether in the 2021 season or in the 2022 season. You know, for Darnold, it gives him a chance to be to a year early to be, go into the 2021 season on a new franchise, new team, a fresh start. A stable really, organization. Yeah, and a chance to, to actually be good. I, we're going to know if he's not a good quarterback at the end of this season. I suspect he will play some. I I think what's going to happen is they're going to look at him in, you know, in, in the preseason and then before that in, in mini camp, and they're going to say, okay, is this kid, this kid willing to, to understand what we're trying to do? Can he understand the offense? Can he, can he do the offense? And if so, the Panthers found a franchise guy. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. They may have found their guy and we know that they only had Teddy Bridgewater under contract for one more season. They get Darnold at a low cost, you know, his contract isn't a bad contract. He's only a rookie contract. And you have the ability to work with him on an extension. If you do like him, I, man, this is a good draft. This is a good trade. It's good for the, it's good for the player. It's good for both franchises. It is a win all around. And it's so rare. We see that. And this is mission accomplished for the two players. And it is great for Sam Darnold. I'm happy for him. And I think this is a great fit. Oh, yeah. I think it's as good a fit as he could find right now. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would take a step further. I would be shocked if he's not the opening day star. I think that Teddy will be in another home or he'll be the backup. I think that they're going to commit to Darnold and give him a shot to, to see if he's the guy right away, uh, I think. I mean, I, I, I like Teddy personally, but, I mean, Teddy's days are numbered. I mean, his best is behind him already. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to how many camp and, and training camp goes. And I suspect we're going to have a quarterback competition 
Um, if I had to bet them right now, six to five and pick them, I'd probably take Bridgewater now to be the opening day quarterback. But I think your week 17 quarterbacks probably stand armed. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's a fair point. Uh, as far as that goes, Sean Watson, um, it's not looking good in uh, that situation. He's now losing endorsement deals with major companies. Uh, Nike being one of those, uh, beats by Dre also one of those and the allegations keep piling up. This is getting worse and worse. It seems by the day for uh, Deshaun right now, Bo. You know, we were real careful the last couple of weeks talking about this. Mm-hmm. We've been we're still careful. careful. And we are. And I'm a little less careful than I was a week ago. I, it's pretty damning now. And, and the more you're going to see people jumping off the Deshaun Watson, when you see endorsements going away, they're getting information that we're not seeing publicly. I mean, and, and now to see some of the stories that are out there and some of the things that you might hear on, you might see on a website, you might hear on a podcast, the stories that are getting tossed around. Yeah, this is, this is pretty bad. And, and I really hate this for Deshaun Watson. I hate that he, this is what he is. Now, I'm not saying, oh, pardon me, a little something in my throat there. <laughs> I'm not saying that he can't be redeemed. Because I think we all can be. Um, but this is pretty damning. And this is not what I hoped I'd see in a player like him, but in a man like him, given what he, how he grew up and what he went through and just the things he had to do to get to where he's at. Um, that kind of hurts as someone who's a, a fan of his, someone who's got, who's an admirer of his, frankly. I was an admirer of his since he was at Clemson. And with a one player at Clemson, I can actually stomach. Um, I think that it's just a shame. It's a shame that you see this with people. It's a young man who clearly has a problem. And I hope for him, he gets the help he needs. I hope he sees he's got a problem, does something about it. And maybe we'll see him play football. And that's great if we do. And if we don't, let's just hope the young man is okay. And let's hope these women who have come forward get taken seriously and that they get heard and we realize that we need to take care of people. And we really need to watch how we behave with people. Mm-hmm. This is, just, I don't know how else to put it. It's disappointing that someone that you, that you think highly of has gone through this. And at the same time, you know, you just want to be supportive of those who have gone through what clearly was someone having poor judgment on the football front. And I'm again, I'm not uh, trying to push aside this information yeah. here, you know, but just back yeah, to okay. football for a second. Get back to football a little bit. Yeah. Right. What, what, what does this all mean for the Houston Texans here? I know that if he doesn't play next year, they don't have to pay him. That's more money freed up, but what, what about their future? I mean, do, are you starting if you're the Texans are you thinking now about who's going to be your next quarterback next year? Or if you even should think about drafting a quarterback, what, what's going through the minds of those with the Texans? Uh, you know, they got a new head coach. It's new- a really great point. So it's going to be a really situ- weird situation for the Texans here. Um, 
they have so many holes now already. And they've made some really poor decisions as an organization. And now this Deshaun Watson, that was the one thing they had you could hang their hat on. The one thing you could hang your hat on was you had a franchise quarterback. And now you ain't even got that. Um, this is going to be tough. I've not, I can't think of anything like this. This is a franchise that really has nothing to hang their hat on. Uh, and they've got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a team that's going to lose a lot of games in 2021. I can't think of anything like it since the Michael Vick stuff in Atlanta. That's probably well put. That's probably the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I mean, because well. basically that year, I mean, it was so late in the pro- process that yeah. they just threw in the towel. All right, we're going to play Joey Harrington. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Bobby yeah. Petrino's going to be our head coach. And then the next year they drafted Matt Ryan and everything got better after that. Yeah, yeah. And, and but you look at this, what the Texans are basically going to be hitting the, the reset button. And, and I guess if you're the Texans, you're going to play like the – be like the Eagles are this year. You're just going to punt 2021, play for the first pick, and just go out there and be respectable and just try to do everything you can to hit a refresh and a restart for 2022 because you got no chance now. You got nothing. That team, I feel for every player in that locker room. I feel for every coach in that staff. But they got to know that right now they're playing. They're on it. They're, they're going up an uphill and they're pushing the boulder up the hill. So, yeah, as an organization, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to get together as an organization, ownership and management, and say, okay, where are we going? What are our goals for 2022, 2023? And are we going to play the free agent pool? Are we going to worry about the draft? They don't have a first-round pick this year. I mean, this is the team in shambles. Um. I, I don't think they have a good I don't think they have a good GM already. Their GM, I mean, he would be the chaplain to the to the GM. I mean, come on. I mean, they might as well have hired me to be their GM. I mean, at least I have a clue. Um they've done a horrible job and they're not gonna get any better. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think that and I shouldn't say the GM, I'm sorry that they have the new GM, the one from the Patriots. They they the it's the, the president is the problem. The one who's yeah. who basically ran everybody off, right? And, and and was trying to get rid of Deshaun Watson in the process, um, you know. So I, I feel bad for this organization, but they've done this to themselves, and now they're going to have to go figure out with a new GM and a new head coach and go, all right, what are we doing? Where are we going? And how do we even look at twenty twenty one? We got to play seventeen games. And we've got to hope to not get anybody hurt and be competitive. And then we have to keep an eye on the next year. This is going to be like in the baseball equivalent of being the Royals pre-2015. You just know you're bad. And you're just hoping fans show up and you surprise them every once in a while and have a couple of good games. They're just not a good organization right now. And, 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 that's a shame. No NFL team should be this bad an organization. And right now we got three of them. We have three, oh, sorry, four really poor organizations in the NFL. And the Texans are one of them. The Jets, uh, the Jaguars, and the Bengals, who still don't deserve Joe Burrow. 
I mean, honestly, I, someone's got to come along and buy those four teams and kick everybody out the building. Look, folks, if you've got about $2 billion, I would love to own one of these four teams. And I will promise you, we'll have the camera crew there when I literally fire every son of a bitch in the building. So if you guys can help me raise $2 billion, we can have the greatest content in the history of the internet. And then you're going to get Bo and I as your play-by-play and color team too, as a bonus. I, I, it's hard to be the color guy when I'm coaching the game too. <laughs> get your mic on the sideline. There we go. Yeah, you, you might get some special access there, Jonesy. Yeah. Okay, I like um, it. You know, no, I, I, I joke. I, I, God, I just, I hate that we see this in the NFL. We see four really poorly run franchises. And man, uh, and it goes to something that you and actually you and I actually talked about before we went on air tonight was that you look at the draft as we head into this draft, and what do you know? It's the same teams again and again and again that are making these high draft picks. And those, I mean, other than the Texans, I guess, because recently with Deshaun, the success they had, but um, but those others. It's every time it's the same. And I guess Cleveland's not in there now, but they were there a lot too. I mean, it's it's always the same terrible organizations time and time again. Yeah. Well, what was the difference in Cleveland a few year, last few years is that they buckled down and they said, let's get football people to come in here and be the football people. Yeah. And they went and got people who wanted to build an organization. Right. Like, yes. The Jets picking the top five every year. Yeah. The Jaguars picking the top five every year. You know, um, who am I thinking? Just uh, text. Texans are kind of the the worst of those, but that's really their president who's run them into the ground. The Raiders and, and, until recently. And the, the Bengals, the Bengals picking the top five every year, and they still don't deserve Joe Burrow. Yeah, and I hope they get him Jamar Chase. I hope they get him Jamar Chase, and I hope that somehow, some way, I can buy that franchise and get them out of Cincinnati. Guys, I'm coming. I'm trying to figure out a way to get you out of there. Sorry, man. I just hate seeing Joe Burrow in that franchise. <laughs> uh, if I was playing Madden, I would trade him from the Bengals just so I can get him out of Cincinnati. <laughs> now, even if it wasn't to my team, just to get him out of Cincinnati. But we're on to Cincinnati. <laughs> we're on to Cincinnati. Yeah, they're on to Cincinnati because they're going to kick Cincinnati's ass. That's what, that's what Belichick knew he was doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking of the draft, uh, I have an idea, and I'm very curious what you think about this. So I think you and I have the same complaint when it comes to the draft of that these quarterbacks are way overprojected that there's only maybe two of them that are actual first round grades of the traditional grade for how we look at quarterbacks in the draft. But there is such a need for quarterbacks that these guys are getting way overdrafted. And the problem I believe that it is, is this rookie wage scale. Initially, it was a good thought. These rookies were getting paid too much. I mean, they were getting paid more than veterans. It got ridiculous. Sam Bradford, Matthew Stafford, these guys hadn't proven a damn thing and we're getting way overpaid. I get that. Uh, but now we've gone from one end of the spectrum and swung it all the way to the other end of the spectrum. And now way too many of these quarterbacks are getting drafted 
so high for these cheap contracts and it's costing other rookies from getting the money they, they deserve and the draft positions they deserve. Bo, I think that we need to raise the rookie wage scale a bit. Now I know that we're in some salary cap problems right now in the NFL with, with COVID things will get better. The, the grass will get greener. Eventually we saw how nice those TV contracts are. Um, but Bo, what, what's going on, what we're preparing for here in a few weeks with this draft, I love the draft, don't get me wrong, but it's like we're watching uh, uh, you know, a, a train wreck just about to happen here. Yeah, I, I, will, I, I will challenge anybody on this. The picks one through four are going to be quarterbacks. Okay, it's going to be Lawrence. It's going to be Zach Wilson. Um, Wilson. It's going to be Mac Mac Jones. Jones. <laughs> God, I can't wait for anyone's picking him in the first round. And then I think Justin Fields is going to go forward to Atlanta. So look, whether you like those four players or not, okay, and I'll sit here and I will argue all day that Mac Jones is not even worthy of a first round pick. Um, teams are going to take quarterbacks because it is the most important player on the team. And you have to keep taking swings to see if you can get your franchise guy. What did we just talk about? We talked about the same five teams are the top five every year, or at least in the top 10. And why is it? Because none of them have got a goddamn quarterback. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, none of them have a good quarterback. I mean, Buffalo was in the top five practically every year. They got Josh Allen. Where are they at? They're in the playoffs. AFC championship, yeah. You know, the Chiefs for a long time. We're in a very good franchise. They got a quarterback. Where are they at? So teams are trying to take a swing and say, we can get our guy. We can get our guy. All right, we messed up on the last one. We're going to get this one, though. And you can keep taking swings because, like you said, there's a rookie wage scale, and we don't have to pay him. Jamarcus Russell messed it up for everybody. All right? Jamarcus got paid all that money. And as soon as he got the money and busted out, everyone was like, ah, oh, there goes our money. And now a rookie can't get paid for four years. So, yeah, teams are going to keep doing this because it then worked. It worked for Seattle. Yeah. It worked for the Rams. Teams were able to get to the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl in the case That's of the city. Seahawks. You know, um, you know, the Chiefs just got there with Mahomes before he got an extension. You know, you can if you get the right guy, you can win. You can you can load up the rest of your team salary cap wise with a cheap quarterback. And you can keep taking swings if you can get the best one. And you get the best one in the first round. So now teams are going to overvalue that. They're not going to say, well, man, let me get the best corner. Let me get the best wide receiver. Who's the best player in this draft? It's either uh, Jamar Chase or uh, or Devonta Smith. I, I, I say they're one A, one B. I'll hear the argument that's Trevor Lawrence. Okay, I'll hear that argument. Sure. But past Trevor Lawrence, says so like he's a quarterback. Jamar Chase is the best player in his draft. But why can't he go to? Because he's a receiver. And it doesn't matter how good your receiver is. You can have Jerry Rice out there. If you don't have Joe Montana to throw him the football, it doesn't make any difference. And so that's why these quarterbacks are going to keep going. Do you have an idea of raising the rookie salary wage? I think it's not a bad idea. Here's what I think we could do. 
We talked about these same five or six teams suck every year. How about we do what the NBA does? Take all the playoff, the non-playoff teams and put them in a lottery. <laughs> yeah. Put them in a lottery and then tell them if you're in the top five, you can't trade. Ooh. Can't yeah. trade top five pick. Maybe a top three. Negotiate that in the CBA. If if the if the players association is so worried about losing percentages in their next CBA, do something like that. Go in and say, okay, yeah, we don't want to lose a percent, but we want to help you. But here's to be creative. Let's put you guys in a lottery. And if you got a top three pick, you can't trade it. Man, that that'd be huge. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now it would hurt unless you can't trade it once you've already got it. I mean, if you've heard traded it the year before, you're done. You know, if you're the Bears and you made a bad trade, okay. You know, are you? Well, I mean, phrase it. If you're the Texans and you made a bad trade, no, you don't get your top three pick. But you know, that's kind of the thing. But now, if you do end up in the top three because you tanked. Well, well, you got to stay. You can't trade that. Yeah, so you're not going to let you get a bunch of value. I, I just be creative. Figure out something. I mean, just anything so we don't see the same five teams suck every year mm-hmm. and be the forgotten five or the forgotten 10 teams. And then let's figure out a way that these franchise, we won't have to have quarterbacks be the first four. I mean, you and I were talking off the air earlier. We pulled the quarterbacks from different drafts, last few drafts, and there really hasn't been an overwhelming great number of quarterbacks taken high in the draft, in the top five. I mean, last year, Burrow was one. Did I mention the Bengals don't deserve Joe Burrow? <laughs> Maybe once or twice. <laughs> Weekly, daily. Um, but you think about that. I mean, there's so many misses, and it's because the rookie salary wage. Yeah. You know, that I understood the teams didn't want it because they didn't want to have to overpay for the guy who might not be a franchise guy. They wanted the opportunity to swing and miss. Mm-hmm. They wanted, they said, hey, we can either hit a home run or we can strike out. But we don't want to be penalized if we strike out. Right. And the players said, well, yeah, because if they strike out and they got to put 50 million in that strikeout, it's a whole lot less money for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, with uh, with the draft, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the football fix on this. Uh, we did see some trades within the last few days when it came to draft picks. San Francisco moves up to three. The belief is they're going to use it on Mac Jones. Um, we we see the Dolphins make some moves and get some good value here. Um, you know the. The big winner for me in all this, of looking at these trades, the, the, the winner is the Dolphins because somehow they turned an average left tackle in Laramie Tunzel to, what is it, like five first-round picks. And then the the Niners for Matt Jones, I mean, uh, they're, they're going to replace Jimmy G with a worse version of Jimmy G. Okay, so the thought was, the, the thing I heard was someone saying that Kyle Shanahan – his favorite quarterback is the next quarterback. He never likes his current quarterback, no matter who it is. Yeah. And so 
It doesn't matter if, yeah, it was Garoppolo two years ago. Was that's the next guy, and now it's the next guy. And if Matt Jones is the next guy, good luck, because you're going to draft in the top five again next year. <laughs> hey, they're in a hard division. If Matt Jones is your quarterback, you're back in the top five. You're going to draft another quarterback in the first round next year because Shanahan doesn't like his quarterback. He likes the next guy. Yeah. And, and Mac Jones, look, he would, he was a high, yeah, he was a highly thought of high school player. He's got an average at best arm and he played an incredible offense with receivers who were butt naked wide open all season long. This guy can't throw a deep ball. He damn sure can't throw a deep ball in the middle of the field. It's going to be an interception every time. I, I would not draft him very high at all. And I, number three overall, it's just either the greatest screen, uh, smoke screen of all time or Kyle Shanahan is just stupid. <laughs> hey, one or the other. I mean, he, yeah, he wants the next guy. That's who you want. You've got yourself a really, really shitty version of Matt Ryan if you do that. Now, as far as Miami goes with what they did, Bo, um, this is one thing I take away from it. I'm curious if you feel the same way. Um, it's obvious that they're building something there, right? With Brian Flores and company. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got something going strong. And all these picks coming in, they are making – Good decisions. They got a bright future. Pressure's on Tua. I mean, he's already losing some of that fan base after a, you know, not a great rookie year, not a bad one either, but wasn't anything too spectacular. Um, I mean, Tua better show up. I mean, they they already pulled him a couple times for for Fitz Magic last year. I mean, this the, the pressure is on Tua this this upcoming year. I mean, he and and you could say the same thing for Jalen Hurts and and Philly. I mean, the leash is not very long for those guys. Yeah. So the the Dolphins have constructed a very very good roster. Um, their quarterback's still a bit of a mystery. I mean, Tua has every physical trait you can want. The guy can run. The guy can throw. He's smart. He can play football. Um, I thought a couple times he got pulled last year were way too early. And I thought they were harmful to him more than they helped. Because that Dolphin team went more to the playoffs last year. That was the one misstep I thought Brian Flores made as a coach last year. Was I thought they were games he pulled to when he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you go into the season with two as your quarterback. And if he's not, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff happening at the end of the season. And the problem you got is if you're the Dolphins, you constructed a great roster, and they have. They got a young roster, and they got a lot of really good players there. And they got picks. They're going to be even better in 2022. But now you're in the division also with a really good Buffalo Bills team and a Patriots team that's reloading. So now you're in this super competitive division, except for the Jets, and you've got – you better be good, but you better have a quarterback because at least one team has a really good one in your division in, in Buffalo. And the Patriots do have Cam Newton, and you just never know what's going to happen there. Um, yeah, Tua's got to be the linchpin guy 
if they think they're going to make the playoffs. It's going to be really hard to make the playoffs because we don't see three teams in the division make it. And you know there's going to be at least two from that division. The thing, that really I would, there now. the thing that I would give Tua the benefit of the doubt on, too, is he was still dealing with that hip injury and recovering yes. from that. Um, you mentioned all the intangibles are there. We saw him win at the highest level, you know, in the SEC and everything there. I like Tua. Um, I didn't like how they treated him in such last year. Give him a, a fresh year as the guy and healthy and, and see what happens. Yeah. I think Tua is going to end up being the second or third best Alabama quarterback of all time in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, one, you got Namath, you got Stabler. Tua is going to be the best one after those two. And, and he's going to be the best, most modern, of the modern guys. Right. I mean, I Mac, anybody who wants to tell me Mac Jones is anything like Tua can just, just take a flying leap off out of a, off of a really really tall cliff because they don't know shit about football. If they believe that. Um, well, tell us how you really think. He, well, I'm not a fan. I don't <laughs> think he's an NFL quarterback. Let him carry a clipboard and be your third string guy in case the first two get hurt. Um, but I just, man, I want to uh, to have a good NFL career. Look, I'm an LSU guy. Yeah, I should not want that. Right. But I really like him a lot. I'm rooting for him, and I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts. I'm rooting for both those guys so bad because I think that they both have a lot of talent, and I just think they need the opportunity. And man, Tua's got a, got a team around him, and if he can get it, they have a really good opportunity to be a good team. I, I am really impressed with that franchise has done building the roster. I like Brian Flores a lot. You and I have sang his praises now for at wow. least the last couple of months. I mean, we both called him the best Belichick assistant coach as a head coach. Um, man, I just – we'll see. I, I It'll be interesting. They basically have robbed the train on the Larry McTunsil deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, that does it for Coach Bo's Football Fix this week. Uh, for more, check out uh, OHGKS.com or ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. As always, uh, Brian O'Connor uh, joining us here at the Jones Sport. Bo's going to stick around a few more things before we get out of here today. Um, we're going to get to WrestleMania in a bit. Also going to get to our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Before we do any of that, though, I do want to talk baseball. Uh, we are one week into the Major League Baseball season. Bo? Sat uh, on Sunday, Easter Sunday, you know, after church and everything, went out with family to the K and first time in over 500 days for me that I got to see live baseball. And it was miraculous. I loved every moment of it. The Royals played like crap. I could not have cared less. I got to enjoy a nice day in the sun and my polo and shorts and cold Boulevard wheat in hand. I mean, it was just magnificent. Um, I almost fell asleep just soaking it all in right i mean it was uh it was quite the experience glad to be back at the ballpark again sure had to wear a mask whatever you know what just glad to be there right um and you know watching some baseball this week uh you know the uh the extra innings games were were, were still going with this whole runner on second base thing yeah um i know some of the uh, traditionalists hate it and such um you know the the start of the season uh, between that obviously had some controversy about what went on in Texas 
with opening day there and such. I mean, and, and people are still talking about this, this all-star game stuff moving to Denver and all that. I'll say this, you know, last week we had a discussion about major league baseball ball that they were not doing a good job of being in the headlines enough and not attracting news. Um, some of it was very negative this week, uh, yeah. but nonetheless, it, the MLB had maybe one of its most interesting opening weeks in quite a while. Yes, we mentioned that uh, <laughs> they don't do a good job of marketing their game. And um, so then they go out and let's just be as controversial as we can the first week. <laughs> um, I don't know if it'll bring more fans, but they did. Um, I don't know how political you want me to get on this whole move the all-star game thing. I have a very strong opinion. And I'll tell you what it is. I like it. I like it when teams and players and organizations say, hey, we feel this way and we're going to do this. I like when people make a stand. I think sports has been important to that for the last, what, 60 years? I mean, you go back to Jackie Robinson, to Jim Brown, to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, this is not a new thing. Colin Kaepernick wasn't new. This is a thing that's happened in sports. This is the next step of this. It's the acceptance. And it can be argued from all sides, but at least it was a stand. So I can I can take that. Now, also that aside, I love baseball, by the way. I absolutely love baseball. I love baseball almost as much as I love football. And um, as you can see, Tyler, you can see me on Zoom. What's behind me? Uh, a few baseballs. All my baseballs. Yeah, I got a bunch of them. So, um, yeah, I just I, – baseball is exciting. God, it's been exciting this week. Um, I love we had opening day, and, you know, I'm a fan. I got the MLB TV package, and I've been watching games like crazy. Uh, I stayed up very, very late on Tuesday night to watch the Red Sox go 12 innings with the Rays. As a Red Sox fan, I was very upset the first opening day and in a three-game sweep by the Orioles, and then you sweep three from the Rays. I was like, all right, we're back. We're not back. We're going to finish last in the East still. Um, but, man, it's exciting, and we've got some great baseball, some great young players. Um, did you watch Sunday night? You went to the Royals game, but did you watch Sunday night on the Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Otani. So, hey, Otani. I think that was my favorite part of the whole week. Was that was awesome. If folks, if you don't know what we're talking about, Shohei Otani. My favorite player in baseball right now. He's finally healthy, and Shohei Otani can both pitch and hit. In the same game, he hits a monster 450 foot home run and stops over 100 miles an hour with his fastball. In the same inning. Same inning. Yeah, he was just nails for four and a third innings. <laughs> it, it, it got out of the fifth with an eight, and they got the no decision. But man, that's exciting. We got players who can play to play multiple positions like that. He's exciting. He is exactly what baseball needs. Um, guys like Fernando Tatis, if you haven't seen, I know he got hurt this week. He's gonna be out with 10-day IL. But man, if you haven't seen Fernando Tatis from the Padres yet, oh my. God, this guy's exciting. Um, there are so much, there's so many exciting things you can watch in baseball that we just don't see because we don't get to watch it like we do the NFL. It's not one game a week. 
it's harder to follow. Uh, and you have to be caught up in the moment to watch it. Um, but baseball has uh, made this past week very interesting. I mean, for sure. And I, I like it. I like what they're doing. I like that they're trying and they're going to try some new things. You mentioned the extra innings thing. That's cool to me. I, I don't have a problem fun. with it at all. So I'm watching the Red Sox Rays game Tuesday night. And the Red Sox tie the game in the ninth. So now the 10th comes on. I forgot they did this. And there's a runner on second. And the Rays score. Well, now the Red Sox are going to score. And they do. They each scored one run. And then it happens the 11th, neither team scored. Or the 10th, neither team scored. 11th, the Rays went ahead. And the Red Sox caught them. And then in the 12th, the Rays score one run. And the Red Sox, they got a score, and they score two and win the game. It's exciting. What is it that everybody talks about in baseball? Well, it's boring. Well, not in extra innings anymore, because now you got a runner on second and nobody out. We're going to see some action now. I, I Man, I love it. And I did watch a little bit of the Royals game on Sunday. Um. That lineup has got some sneaky good players. They got some offense that Royals. Um, I love the pickup of Carlos Santana. I like Michael A. Taylor. I do too. I liked Michael A. Taylor when he was the Nationals, and I think that I think one through five. That's a really good lineup. Um, I think Ben Intendi will get hot, and that will be that will be great too. Oh, and since we're know, already I, on this, if. Uh... If you're this far listening into the show, I mean, you're, you're not going to care me saying this, so I'll go ahead and say it anyway. Uh, do you want to guess what I accidentally uh, mispronounced uh, Benintendi's name as? What did you say on Benintendi? I got to hear this. This is to my dad, my conversation with my dad. I called him uh, uh, Benatitty. <laughs> <laughs> In Boston, they just called him Benny Biceps. Benny Biceps, okay. Benny Biceps is his nickname in Boston. And my <laughs> wife has a very big crush on Benny Biceps. Yeah. We were watching the game. We were at her parents' house. And here comes Ben and Tendi in the powder blue jersey with the white pants. And I went, that doesn't look right. That is, You know, when you see one of your players on your favorite team go somewhere else, they don't look right in that uniform. It's like Willie Mays is a Met. And you look at it and you go, oh, that don't look right. And Jen said, yeah, it doesn't look right. He should take that shirt off. She was trying to get him to play with the shirt on, you know. Oh yeah, jersey. You let him go out there with no shirt on. It'd be just fine. <laughs> yeah, folks, that's my wife for you. You gotta love her. The, the saint, as I call her around here. <laughs> um, but no, I man, the Royals, if they have any pitching, will be fun to watch because they'll score runs. I was ready for the Brady Singer experience on Sunday, but he, he laid an egg. He wasn't ready yet. Yeah, and then you got Witt coming. It's some um, Bobby Witt's coming. Yeah. And when he I'm gonna go to his first game. When he's when he gets his first home game, I'm going. I want to see him play. And uh, it'll be a little while now. They went in and sent him down, you know, for um, the service time deal. With uh with Otani, you know, yeah. we, we talk about like the impact that he can make and such, you know, the spark that he provides, not just for the angels, but for the sport. You mentioned like with you know, wit that you you, you want to go see his first game and such. Otani's gonna be the type that 
when he shows up on the road, people make a point to go to that specific game to see him play. That's what baseball needs and is looking for. I mean, you're looking to put his starts on national TV. Uh, You're looking to, you know, folks uh, from opposing teams make a point to go see him play on the road. I mean, that's the type of guys that this sport needs. Yeah. And and you need to start looking at that and see who's, you know, yeah, normally you would say, well, if we're lucky enough when that team comes to town, hopefully their best starters pitch in one of those three games. Right. You're right. If Otani's pitching, people are going to flock to those games. There, there has and not ES- been – I would say, Bo, there ha- in Major League Baseball, there has not been a I got to buy a ticket to see this guy situation since Jeter's retirement tour. I, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, and I think that's too bad because Mike Trout's the best player of all time. So, and we don't go, man. We gotta see Mike Trout. You know, I'm gonna go see Mike Trout next week when they're here. I gotta see what day Otani's pitching though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please let Otani be pitching next week when they're in Kansas City. Um, but uh, yes, I mean, there's guys you gotta go see, and you gotta see it in person. Um, I tell the story. You know, when I first moved to Kansas, I was about 16 years old. And I went to the old K, you know, back when the K was much older and bigger and bigger, it seemed like it was bigger. And I can recall going and watching batting practice with my father from outside the old gate, where it used to be the outfield GA, which now was where like they had the little K now. And we were watching one day, and this is in the early 90s, that's how old I am, and 89, 90 in that area. And you can hear this crack of a bat, and you bam. Bam! And it was Bo Jackson. And it was an excitement watching Bo play. And we haven't seen a lot of that in baseball. We had Cal Ripken. We had the first meeting, we had Sosa and McGuire, which was exciting. If you're old enough to remember, Sosa and McGuire was huge. I mean, ESPN would cut into programming for their at-bats. And then that all fell off because of the steroid stuff. And then Ripken saved us all at the end of his career in the Ironman streak. We kind of go in phases in baseball. This is the phase of the really, really good young players. Yeah. We have some incredible talent. If you're in, and we've had for so long, athletes play football, athletes play basketball. We've got some great athletes playing play baseball. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean, watch Mike Trout, watch Mookie Betts. Um, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. is so much better than his dad already. And his dad was a really good player. Um, you know, then we've got pitchers like Otani. I mean, we've got, there are so many great pitchers that you don't even know who they all are anymore. I mean, have you heard of Lucas Giolito? Hey, he's, he's, he's freaking awesome. He's going to win the Cy Young this year, I think, in the, in the American League. You don't know who he is. Nobody does. You know, so it, as, a, as a baseball guy, yeah, there's a lot of things that, that I enjoy. We're coming out of COVID. If you get a chance to go to the ballpark this year, go to the ballpark. Go to the ballpark. And if you're a Royals fan, go and watch some of these young players and enjoy it. And just enjoy it for being able to go back out, first off. And secondly, man, some exciting baseball is going to get played. Some runs are going to get scored. And when some of these players come into town on these opposing teams, go see them. If you've never had a chance to go see Mike Trout play, Go because you're going to want to tell your kids you saw Mike Trout. Yeah, 
I mean, Tyler, how old are you now? I'm 24. Okay, how old is your father? My dad is 51. He's a little bit older than I am. So the best players when he was a kid, if he was there anybody, did he ever go to a game and tell you later, I got to see this guy play? You know, for me, it was Ripken and Nolan Ryan. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Dale Murphy, you know, Mike Schmidt, George Brett. We had to see all those guys play when I was a kid. Yeah. And I get to tell my son about that. That's what baseball is all about. Right. Well, now if you're a young person and you really haven't watched it much the last couple of years, and we're all dying for content right now, man, go to the ballpark and be able to go see some of these guys play and go, wow. Because you'll tell your kids later, I got to see that guy play. And that's really rare. We don't have that now, this Instagram, you know, Snapchat world. We don't think about what we see with our eyes. We only see with our phones now. Go enjoy it. And, and, and we're missing a lot. And, oh, yeah. I mean, baseball-wise, go get it. I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, I've seen A-Rod, Albert Pujols, yeah. Derek Jeter, you know, like, oh, yeah, Ichiro Suzuki, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. and uh, to go to a game and to see your favorite player hit a home run is just the coolest thing ever. It is. It is. And you get that, you don't get that excitement even watching it on TV. No. And when you go, folks, don't hold up your phone and print it on freaking Instagram the whole time. <laughs> Drink a beer, eat a hot dog, and enjoy the damn game. Oh, that bothers me so much. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, a couple more things. Uh, WrestleMania, two nights, Saturday two and nights. Sunday. Uh, yeah. How about that? Uh, you know, both WrestleMania. This is the event that that the casuals come out, and you know, it's kind of a. I feel like it's a, a thing, a checkup of sorts. All right, let's see where the WWE is at now. What's yeah. going on nowadays? Like, let's 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 take our medicine, yeah. and see where they're at now. You know, what I mean, like that's that's what I feel like WrestleMania has become in a sense. Like, it was. For years, it was, you know, Raw and SmackDown were the buildup all year long to get to WrestleMania. Now this just feels like the, uh, all right, what did I miss the last few months? So let's catch up to speed. That, that feels like what it's become now. It, it's their Super Bowl, just like the Daytona 500 and the Masters and everything else. They build this all year long. Right. And I think we've kind of, like, like, WWE, you'll hear some of this talk when you're on my show as well, is that... WWE's kind of, I think part of it is they started their own network and they put what used to be their pay-per-views on that network. It made it less special. Yeah. And you used to have to pay 50 bucks to watch WrestleMania on pay-per-view. Right. But now you can get it by joining, getting now the Peacock app and it's free on Peacock. That's why it's two nights because we got to have programming. Right. Um, the other thing about it, and, and this is something that, again, I was a huge fan of, when I was a kid, in my 20s, even in my 30s. In my 40s now, I'm not as big a fan, and I think I know why. There's no stars anymore. No. There's no Steve Austin and The Rock and Hulk Hogan. And, you know, there was or, – or somebody even really bad to root against. You know, The Undertaker is gone now. I mean, you know, he's retired. And, and I'll ask you. Name me two matches on this year's WrestleMania. 
I'm going to count how many matches there are while you do that. Um, I couldn't name two matches. Okay, so on the WWE website, they show 13 matches currently okay. listed. All right. Let me ask you this question then. Who is the WWE champion? The one that's the champion on SmackDown. Is it? Uh, they have two champions, by the way. One on SmackDown, one on Raw. Who is the champion on SmackDown? Is it Roman Reigns? It is Roman Reigns. That's the most right. famous guy they got now. And I'm like, he's okay. I don't hate the guy, but he's not any star by any means. I, so, again, I don't watch as much as I used to. My son loves it. And he came to me and said, Dad, you've got to start watching SmackDown when Roman Reigns is on. Now, a little behind the curtain on me, I love the bad guys. This is who I root for. As a <laughs> really? kid, I loved Ric Flair. I loved Roddy Piper. I liked Steve Austin before he was a good guy. I started watching, and I do like Roman Reigns. This guy is a good bad guy. I hated him when he was a good guy. He's a bad guy now. He's really good at it. Uh, he's in the main event Sunday night. Roman Reigns, and they brought Edge back. Edge is older than I am. Okay. Okay. And he's they're also fighting the three-way with Daniel Bryan, who I like Daniel Bryan. Um, okay, now here's the other question. Who is the champion on Monday Night Raw? Um, hmm. I don't know. Who is it? Bobby Lashley. Do you know who Bobby Lashley is? I don't even know who Bobby Lashley okay. is. Okay. Here's how, if you know anything about wrestling, Bobby Lashley's most famous match was 10 plus years ago at WrestleMania because he was the guy who fought in the match that was the Vince McMahon versus Donald Trump match. Oh, okay. And they each had a wrestler. Yeah. Bobby Lashley was Donald Trump's guy. Okay. And he won the match. They had to shave Vince McMahon's head. He is now the WWE champion. He's like in his late 40s as well. He looks like a million bucks. He's chiseled. He looks like a chiseled statue of a man. I can't talk much. They got a guy who does the talking for him. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking through this. And again, I like wrestling. I don't know who half these people are. I do know, I mean, I do kind of know who they are. By the way, who the hell is Bad Bunny? This is a this is a rap star. This is a hip hop guy, some kind of not not a Ring of Honor wrestler. No, no. Who is bad? Tell me a song Bad Money sings because I've never heard one. But he's written a wrestling match at WrestleMania, and I heard this that they had him do an appearance at one of their earlier shows. I think it was the Royal Rumble. They sold the WWE sold more Bad Bunny merchandise on their website in like a two-month period than any other wrestler. Really? And that's why he's now in WrestleMania. Huh. You got to sell some merch, man. We got to make some money here. Yeah. It's a bit has to be people in stands now. So, yeah, Bad Bunny is going to be teaming up with a guy named Damian Priest, who I've seen him. He actually looks really cool. And they're going to face John Morrison and The Miz. Frog face himself, as I call him. If you've seen the little reality show on USA, The Miz has his own reality show. Yeah, that's who they're going to be fighting. So obviously Bad Bunny's team will win. 
Now, WrestleMania tends to bring out the celebrities and such. Mm -hmm. You know, Vince likes to show off the stars. Are, are we going to see any of them come out of some sorts? I don't think they're going to have many. I know they get the Bad Bunny thing. I haven't heard anything else. And again, I'm way behind here. So uh, I'm going to have to have my man Hayden Fallick help me out here on this coming up. I might have, have a phone call to him. This Doesn't week. The Rock get paid just to show up? Yeah, so I think they were going to have John Cena show up. But he is busy. I read that he is busy making a TV show in Canada and cannot get there and get back and, and stay in the COVID protocol. I don't because think you know John that, Cena is that great of an actor. No, but he gets paid a lot of money. I, yeah. I, I mean, he's not The Rock, but he's kind of the next best thing, I guess. I don't know. I, that's another one my, life, my wife likes. Are they done with Ronda Rousey now? I think so. I'd like to see her come back, though. She was exciting. We're also not going to have my personal favorite wrestler. It's not going to be on WrestleMania this year, and that's Charlotte Flair. I don't okay. know if you know about Charlotte Flair. Yeah, yeah, I know about Flair's her. daughter. Uh, she's, I think she's the best. I think she's awesome. And she's not going to be on because I guess there was like a backstage issue with some health oh. issues, and she got COVID. Okay. And she's through that protocol, but my understanding, I heard this today. Um, she had a test. Again, I've heard this secondhand. Don't quote me as the gospel. I don't work for the WWE. Someone in the doctors a couple of weeks ago ran some blood work on her, and they thought she was pregnant. Oh. So they had to take her off wrestling. She can't wrestle. Thought she's pregnant. She's not pregnant, and she was taking pregnancy tests left and right to tell the WWE, I'm not pregnant but they can't get her into a program fast enough now to get uh -huh. her on WrestleMania. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, you know, this is fun stuff. I'll tell you the one thing I have a problem with. I did see this 13 matches. I know a lot of these people, some of them I don't know. I'll tell you who I'm tired of already though. Why do we have to see Vince McMahon's son, Shane? Shane? He's going to fight. So he's going to have a match against Braun Strowman. I don't know if you know who that guy is. Have you seen it? If, Google it if you don't know it. Pull it up. I guarantee you'll laugh. It, it seems like with Shane McMahon, he's the, the typical uh, silver spoon kid who they have to keep happy of some sorts. So, you know, he wasn't in for a long time. He'd gone off and done his own thing out of the wrestling business. They brought him back a couple of years ago. And now it seems like what they do is they give him a match at WrestleMania so they can build something really tall for him to jump off of. Now, if you're a wrestling fan, you just laughed your ass off because that's what they do every year. You figure out something that's 20, 30, 40, 50 feet high. They may have him jump out of a plane this year. I don't know. But he has to jump off of something really high. That's his gimmick. The Braun Strowman guy is like this big, huge monster of a man. They want to be the next Andre the Giant. He just isn't. I look at him and I go... Yeah, you're funny. Uh, I don't know. I, I've watched some of this stuff lately. I tried to watch some. Oh, it's been awful. I don't know who writes this, but um, they need to hire new writers. Yeah, um, I'm available if you'd like. I can come up with some ideas better than some of these guys can. I think Bo's put himself in for about three different jobs. Tonight time. alone, yes. Yeah. I've got three new jobs. Um, yeah, I, I'm not watching this this year. I'm not, I usually will watch WrestleMania. I can sit through three or four hours of it. We usually, we used to have, when my son was in high school, we do the 
you know, the boys will come over and we'll cook a little food and everybody has a good time. We're not doing that this year. You know, Peyton asked me earlier today, hey, Dad, are you going to watch WrestleMania? I said, look, on Sunday, when the final match comes on, you can come get me and I'll come watch that match. That's it. So Vince, you are getting my 10 bucks for the Peacock Network. Congratulations. I don't have to watch, so. On that note, we'll move on. Time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Even though Tom's out, Bo's got us covered as uh, Bo, I believe we're going to head to Fresno, California this time. Yes, this is uh, courtesy of the Fresno Bee. Okay, here we go. The headline reads, family of the Fresno man who died in a taco eating contest is suing Grizzlies owner. The son of a Fresno man who died during an amateur taco eating event in 2019 is suing the organizers of the event for negligence. Marshall Hutchins, 18, alleges in his lawsuit filed Monday that his father, Dana Hutchins, 41, was not made aware of the risks and danger involved in a food eating competition. (laughs) The elder Hutchins died after choking on tacos. Don't you make me laugh. The younger Hutchins is seeking an undisclosed monetary damages for the loss of his father. The event organized by Fresno Sports and Events LLC, the owners of the Fresno Grizzlies, was held on August 13, 2019 during a Fresno Grizzlies minor league baseball game. The goal of the competition was for amateur competitors to devour as many tacos as possible during a certain amount of time. Professionals in the sport take great care to train and to make themselves physically ready to participate, said Hutchins' attorney, Martin Telesnack of the Saul Wall Group. But that is not always present in an amateur eating contest, the attorney said. The conductors of this event should have made the risks known to the competitors and taken steps to protect them. Adding to the risk was the availability and consumption of alcohol during the event. <laughs> Fresno Sports and Events LLC failed to fully inform the deceit and Dana Hutchins of every risk he was accepting when he agreed to enter the amateur taco eating competition, the loss, the lawsuit states. The lack of information outlining every risk to amateurs eating was omitted, and Mr. Hutchins entered the competition with limited information on all the risks he was agreed to. His assumption of risk was distorted, and therefore he was unable to assume the risks he was taking when agreed to the competition. Derek Franks, President of Fresno Sports and Events declined to comment on the lawsuit on Monday. <laughs> now, first off, uh, terrible that his dad died. You know, certainly that's that's not good, and you know that's uh, certainly thinking that we're not making light of this guy dying. Although we'll make that clear. Um, but my goodness, uh, wasn't aware the risks of eating tacos. I mean, like, what do you think was? What's going to happen? I mean, like, do they advise you to eat tacos uh, that fast? This is why I'm a burrito guy. <laughs> you know, you can't eat too many burritos. Right? right? You go to Chipotle, you get a burrito. You don't have to mess around with these tacos. Tacos will take you down in more ways than one, obviously. 
right, first off, you said it right. You know what? Rest in peace. Yeah. No one should ever have to die at a taco eating competition. Unless you're in Tijuana. That just happens there every day. I, like, I, I think it happens every day there. But to sue somebody for the inherent risk of a taco eating competition, I want to know what kind of salsa was on these things. I want to know if they were crispy tacos. Were they soft tacos? Did you have a choice? If you're going to enter an eating competition, take it from a fat guy, you better start thinking about what you're doing and not just be sitting here drinking beer the whole time. <laughs> oh, Come on, you know, man. This just proves my point that I've been saying for, for years that, you know, Joey Chestnut's the greatest athlete of all time. He's the GOAT. I mean... <laughs> This guy, the way that he can put down food in life or death situations, and he just continues to chow those hot dogs down every 4th of July. I mean, this just proves the greatness that is Joey Chestnut. I still love this phrase. The lack of information outlining every risk to amateur eaters was omitted. (laughs) And Mr. Hutchins entered the competition with limited information on all the risks he was agreeing to. Now, listen, if they just said, hey, you might choke to death, you know what the guy just said? Here, hold my beer. Come on, man. I, we've all been there. we all done something stupid, this guy. And you got to get rest in peace. But damn, go out. Imagine that being, imagine you're at the funeral. Okay, imagine it's your funeral. Think about this. It's your funeral, Tyler. You passed away. You died at a taco eating contest. Okay? So I get the phone call. Someone says, Bo, did you hear? Tyler's gone. Oh, my God. What's the first thing you do? What happened? Tyler's a young guy. Oh, no. Well, he choked to death at a taco eating contest. Tyler, I will mourn you being gone, buddy. I lost a good friend this past week. And I'll mourn him being gone. Had he died in the taco eating contest, I'd have mourned him still, but I would have laughed my ass off for a while. <laughs> At least it's a hell of a good story on the way out. <laughs> oh. I guess if you got to go, that's one way to go. I I don't enjoy Mexican food that much. <laughs> you get up to heaven and uh, they say, how you get here? Oh, you know, natural causes. Oh, you know, I had cancer. Oh, you know, somebody killed me. Oh, uh, oh you know how I got here? I, I choked on tacos. Yeah, that was, God, I can't think of the movie. There was a movie back in the in the early 90s called Defending Your Life, where a guy dies, he's hit by a bus, and you go to heaven. And before you get to heaven, you go like to this certain place where they judge your life. You have to defend what happened through your life to see if you pass on and go to heaven or you go back to earth. It's a really funny movie. The premise is great. Now, here I'm thinking, here's Tyler <laughs> at his age, and he's on the little bus going, you know, he's got to go going to heaven, and it's a bunch of old guys. You know, what happened? Man, heart attack, man. You know, what happened to you? Man, cancer. Cancer got me. What about you? Well, you know, you just have an accident. You, Slip and fall off a ladder, you know, and just kind of, you know, shit happens. What happened to you, buddy? And you're the young one, and you go, 
taco contest. <laughs> I choked on tacos. Yeah. And everybody, and all the old guys would look at you like, what in the hell? <laughs> what a... Again, rest in peace, my friend. Go easy, my friend. Enjoy all those heavenly tacos. <laughs> I hope you get all the flavors. It's like something like the Simpsons. You go up there and heavenly tacos. <laughs> Would you ever go to heavenly tacos when you're in heaven and you died in a taco eating contest? <laughs> <laughs> All your buddies on Saturday night in heaven want to go out to dinner. Where you want to go? Everybody's like, let's go to Heavenly Tacos, man. It's been a while. Oh, f- that place. No, 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 no. I ain't going to that place. <laughs> I had a bad incident back on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and in in the Heavenly Tacos, you just keep on eating. The t- the contest never ends. <laughs> the contest never ends. So I wonder if the Suns ever had a taco since. The contest was in 2019. Has he been to Taco Bell? Right? Taco John's? Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's too good. That was a good one. That was, that was a good one. Oh, man. Now I'm hungry for some tacos. <laughs> Can I get a burrito, please? <laughs> this taco's for you, Dad. <laughs> You know, you know, you know where you pour out some of your drink. You know, it's one for me, one for my homies. You know, do you just take a little cheese off the top, or what do you do? <laughs> you open up some of the salsa packet from, from Taco Bell and squeeze it onto the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hell for this bit, y'all. But uh, me too. Yeah, it, it's pretty funny. I was know. in a burrito eating contest once. Really. I had to eat the entire burrito in under a minute, and by golly, I I got it done. See, I can't do things like that. I, I can eat, but I like to eat, and I can enjoy eating. But I don't do anything for speed. I don't literally don't do anything in the name of speed. My age. Yeah, I, yeah. I would finish dead last in a taco eating contest. Well, at least you want to choke on it. I just, yeah, I, I, you know. The slower I'm you eat, drink. the less likely you are to choke on it. That's true. You know, I'd probably just drink more beer than tacos than eat the number of tacos. <laughs> but the inherent risk of everyone should be told the inherent risk of taco eating contest. Yes. yes. I mean, they didn't have them sign like a little form or something, you know? I, you know, the next one, it's Minor League Park's going to open back up and they're going to have a taco eating contest. They probably won't do tacos. They'll probably do nachos next time. Right. You know, you do a nacho thing and then you're going to have to have them sign a certain waiver. And they're going to have to have... This is, where, this is where waivers come from, people. Right. They're going to have to have all the nutrition facts. Yeah, because you might have a heart attack because of it now. Right. You know? Or if you got COVID, if you had COVID-19, you won't be able to eat. And they'll look like you can't, you're not eligible to eat in this if you previously had COVID-19. Because that's a risk if you're a ta- competition taco eater. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. That, <laughs> it was a good run for yeah. the taco eaters. Yeah. For yeah. On that uh, note, we will go. Home, Tyler. It was a lot of fun, Bo. Thanks for hanging out with us again. 
Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm glad you're not sick of me yet. You know, that we can share some tacos together and have a good time. <laughs> um, as always, subscribe to the Jones Report on uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. By the way, uh, speaking of reviews, we always encourage you to leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And to end the show today, let me read you the most recent review of the Jones Report. Okay. Oh. Um, here's how it goes. Uh, this comes, uh, it was a five-star review. Thank you. Um, and the subject line says, incredible podcast. If you like sports, this podcast is for you. But if you are a woman who gets turned on by sexy baritone voices, stop. Just stop searching because you found the podcast you've been dreaming of. Wait until the husband goes to bed. Pop in some headphones and enjoy. I know he's not on this week, but Tom, did Tom write that? No, but that does sound like Tom. Man, that is great. Yeah, man. I, there you go. That, well, now we know who your target audience is here, Tyler. Hey, ladies. <laughs> Hello, friends. Hello. <laughs> Hello, lady friends. <laughs> you know, I've never had any problem with hitting on uh, married women because I'm not going to do anything. It's just practice. <laughs> I've literally never heard anybody say that. That's hilarious. I've literally never had anybody. That's that's genius, though. It is. Why are you hit on married women? It's just batting practice to me. I mean, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. I want to send a shout out to Elwood Ott on that one. You know, my man Elwood, he'd appreciate that joke. I'm going to have to text him later and be like, you're not going to believe what Tyler said on the podcast this week. Uh, uh, he would appreciate that. Thanks for brunch earlier this week, Elwood, by the way. <laughs> Good seeing you. Um, so, yes, please leave us more of those five-star reviews and get creative. Say something funny. We certainly appreciate it if you do so. And Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, also on uh, Facebook, uh, Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live. You can find us there. Big thanks to Chris Plank for stopping by and joining us as well. And you, the listener, for spending your day here on the Jones Report. We'll see you right back here next week. For Chris Plank, Brian O'Connor, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Report. See you next week.